What's new listeners? I'm Andre Howell, the host of Two Cents Critic. If you're in the mood for reviews of books, movies, and TV shows, then join in. Today, we're taking a deep dive into Pixar's The Incredibles, and the guest who's carved out time to hang out with us is Matthew, the host of the podcast That's So Matthew, which covers plenty of nostalgic movies and TV shows, particularly Disney content, and even spread out some recent episodes for The Twilight Saga. Welcome to 2CC, Matthew. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. Like Arthur said, my name is Matthew from the That's So Matthew podcast, and I also have a TV and movie podcast. I break down a ton of nostalgic movies, um, as well as I am very into breaking down the Twilight movies. Like you said, I covered them for April, so it is always a great time on That's So Matthew. Oh, yes, definitely, definitely. And I want to thank you very much for being able to come on here. And again, the incredible stats for those who are focusing on today. And now this was, it came out back in 2004. It was written and directed by Brad Bird, who also helmed The Iron Giant, Ratatouille, Mission Impossible Goes Protocol, Smallland, and of course, The Incredible 2. And he also directed a Family Dog, an episode of the 1980s TV series Amazing Stories, which I was interested to find that out. And this movie also grossed $631.6 million globally on a budget of $92, somewhere between $92 to $145 million. And it was actually the fourth highest grossing movie of 2004, behind Shrek 2, that's the highest one, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, and Spider-Man 2. So, I mean, I all great movies. Been... So I definitely... Oh, yeah, the Incredibles is one of my favorites as well. Is I feel like it's... You mentioned Incredibles too. I think it's so crazy that like there was such like a fourteen year age gap between the two movies, especially when it picks up right where the first one left off. So I thought that was something I super know. interesting about this movie as I was watching it, uh, and like taking notes and like seeing that ending and then remembering that it picks up right up in Incredibles two where I left off. So I thought that was a super interesting tactic, but I actually really enjoyed that. Yeah, me too, and I would say I haven't seen the sequel in a while, so I, I remember liking the sequel quite a bit. Not as much as the first movie, but I remember liking it, but I feel like I'd have to, because I haven't seen it since it came out in years, so I have to rewatch it again to refresh my feelings on it. Yeah, me too as well. I, I, I don't, don't remember much, but I just remember that that villain at the end, the Underminder, was like the main villain, and I was like, this oh, yeah, is really smart. Kicking off the sequel, I remember that, yes. And... Also interesting rewatching the Incredibles because just because, you know, by the time this came out, Pixar had already done Toy Story, you know, A Bug's Life, Toy Story 2, Monsters Inc., and Finding Nemo in that order. And then the Incredibles came out. And, and it's like before that, already such a just great slate of movies, at least in my opinion, you know, for Pixar. Yeah, I mean, all great movies. I feel like this was like Pixar's golden era of movies, for sure. Um,. As, like, the superheroes, I feel like in this time period as well, there were not, like, Marvel wasn't, like, a huge thing. So I feel like this superhero bunch, especially, like, a cartoon, I feel like was super... And the family dynamic as well is definitely something that I think would set this movie apart from the other films that they had done. And it always is, I think, a good time to take risks, especially as, like, a company like that, because I feel like this was able to set them apart, and I feel like they succeeded very well. Me too, me too, and again, yeah, you were saying Marvel, yeah, because 
aside from this, we did have like Spider Man, I feel like that was really the only big, you know, superhero Marvel thing around, you know, Sam Raimi's Spider Man trilogy. And we, and we it's, not, it's not like we didn't have other superhero movies, it's like we did have, well, I think the incredible the Hulk, that was the, the one with Eric Banner, I remember that coming out around that time period, or like the Daredevil movie with Ben Affleck, which is kind of funny to think that exists as a property. Uh, but yeah, but I, obviously, I feel like those kind of movies can pale in comparison. Not Spider Man. I think Spider Man is great. Talking about Mario, but uh, the other movies, yeah, they're not. They're not good. No, no. Uh, but yeah. yeah, so so now so they, so yeah, so let's just uh, let's get our general thoughts and feelings now on being Incredibles. So start off with you. You know, again, your general thoughts and feelings. What do you like about the movie? Is there anything you don't like about the movie? You know, all that. Um. That is a really good question. I feel like The Incredibles is a really good movie. I remember watching this many, many times as a child. I also think that something about this movie, like I said, the superhero family dynamic obviously sets it apart. Some things that I think they do really well are introducing the characters because at the beginning we have, like, we meet all of the different characters, and I feel like that is super... I feel like it's done well, but we're still able to, like, get to know them throughout the film. Like, we see... um, our like uh, incredible boy turns into our our super villain which i thought that that was a super great way to show like the depth of the plot line i guess if that makes sense i just really like how they introduce all the characters leading up to the actual story initially some things that i think are okay as i feel like it parts of it do drag a little bit i feel like in the plot but i feel like in any movie there's always going to be a little bit like of a little bit dragging, but I feel like pl- plot-wise, it keeps moving pretty fast. Otherwise, I like the Islands storyline. I thought that was cute. Edna Mode, obviously, is an icon. Obsessed. Uh, I couldn't not just talk about Edna. I feel like Edna is one of my favorite parts of this movie. Um, Let's see, let's see. I also really like how they set up for a second movie as well. I also like how they're like we have like the whole thing where they used to be superheroes but they kind of like gave that up and then they kind of bring back into it as well with their children Violet Dash Jack Jack um so I feel like overall this movie is really good um and what I know that we'll break down more in depth but that those are like my general thoughts okay yeah that's good that's good and as for me uh The Incredibles has been yeah it's, it's definitely been my long time favorite Pixar movie and to this day, I think it's so hot that spot. I think it's just, just it's a superhero movie that fleshes out its superhero leads, it makes them feel real. And so Brad Bird, uh, he so he had the goal of wanting to point out the contrast between the mundane and the fantastic. Uh, and, and, and I think that's definitely shown several times throughout this movie. And I think I think that was quite an interesting approach to go at this movie from and something a little more different than I think, well, I feel like maybe uh, movies like superhero content today does try to make the, the, the like the superheroes feel more humanized, make them feel more real, but specifically the way it's like the contrast between the mundane and the fantastic. Like one of the specific moments I'll point out is like when, it's like when Bob Parr, aka Mr. Incredible, when he throws out his back. In the middle of a fight, I feel like that is like a clash between the mundane and the fantastic right there. It's just like real life, of like a real life struggle, 
but it's also happening in the middle of this fantastical fight against this massive robot. Yeah, that's that's actually a really good point, and I feel like this is like I feel like there definitely is more like animated superhero movies that like aren't necessarily like Marvel or DC, but this is like the one that comes to mind the most. And I feel like that's what like sets it apart with the superhero and setting apart the different world. And I also don't want to interrupt you, but there was something that when you mentioned like the mundane and the fantastic that came to mind is there's the one scene where they were talking about how they had to go to court because there was a lady that got saved that didn't want to get saved by the superhero, which I feel like in this in this world, the like the superheroes are very like, I don't want to say frowned upon, but like, I feel like they're not like it's kind of something that a lot of people hide, especially this family. They're trying to hide their powers until they have to like use them and save the world. Um, so I feel like that was something super interesting, like with the contrast between like the perspective of the superheroes, which I actually really thought added to like the plot. Yes, definitely. I I was interested in that too, and again, you know, definitely we'll be we'll be breaking that more down in the in the plot recap. But and then I I also I like the color symbolism of this movie. I think that's always something I appreciate in, in like in cinema in general when you're using colors to communicate something about the story. And I think this movie does that quite well. I love like several performances as well, uh, like the action sequences. I think what this what does I just I, there are a few in this movie where I'm like wow this is fantastic and this is like one one of my a favorite of mine across all you know action sequences and the superhero genre, you know not not even in just Team Shadowboards. And I would say that like maybe. And you were saying earlier about the about the plot dra- dragging a bit at times. I I, I think I, I found it to be pretty well paced personally for me, but I think not. I don't think this movie is absolutely perfect. There are points where I'm like, and I feel like the, the gender dynamics, the gender politics in this movie feels kind of dated, because it does, it is taking place in this kind of like retro futurist futuristic. 60s slash 70s world, and that was like Bradford. He did, he did talk about that. Like he wanted it to take place in this kind of like 60s, 70s world, and I think that comes across, you know, even even just visually. And then, but I am like, yeah, I feel like the gender politics in this definitely feels pretty outdated. Uh, it's not like it's blatantly awful, but like, you know, eh, I don't particularly care for this at the same time, you know. I totally get what you mean. I feel like it's it's definitely dated, and I kind of like that, to be honest. I kind of like that it doesn't necessarily take place. Like, because we start in the beginning, and then we have, like, the flash-forward 15 years. Um, and we have, like, the lifestyles of Bob and Helen when they're just, like, trying to, like, hide. So I feel like having the time difference does help the storyline a little bit. But you're right, it does. it's not perfect, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I was just looking at my notes. Yeah, but Bradford, he said it takes place in an alternate mid '60s retro world. That was his vision. Yes, and and then I will. And then Edna Mode, I do love her. Like, yeah, she's definitely like, she is definitely an, an iconic character. And I would say, even just across animated movies in general, she's probably one of one of one of the most iconic. And I would say, I think, it's the, I have another little nitpick because then I apparently, according to Bradford. She's supposed to be, I think, half German and half Japanese. So it does make me a little uncomfortable that Brad Bird himself, a white guy, is playing her. You know, I feel like there's a bit of a racist, you know, tinge there. Yeah, it is, it, very true. Yeah. 
I, I mean, I, I feel like it does, I, because it is this whole trend of what is the in, in animation of white actors playing, uh, who play like people of color in animated content. And I don't know, I feel like, for some reason, I feel like this does, again, it's not, I don't know if this is necessarily like terrible, but again, it makes me a little uncomfy. And I'm also feel conflicted because I do love Bad Bird's vocal performance. I think he is on he's on point. Like he's top notch as Edna as Edna Mode. But still, you know. I totally I agree with you. I feel like I don't want to be that person, but like I just feel like in two thousand four that like wasn't a thing. So I feel like watching oh, yeah, it definitely. now, like in two thousand twenty two, it's just like something that we picked up on. Like I very much agree. It's definitely a very great performance. It's just a little questionable, like in twenty twenty two. But I still love Edna, obviously one of my favorite characters. And I feel like even like even in the second movie, I, Edna was definitely one of my favorites as well. So I just feel like a standout performance was done with Edna. But yeah, definitely see what you mean. Definitely. And, and I will say it was it's not like it was even intended for him to actually play it at first because he was just doing like the, the scratch track for Edna. It was just like, oh, like, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll read her lines just to have like the filler lines and then they'll find someone else to play her. And he actually did approach, uh, what was it, what was it, was it, oh yeah, Manny Driver. He was like, hey, do you, do you wanna, do you want this role? But then she actually told him, no, you're perfect for this. And that's when he ended up taking on the role for real. So, you know, I, I like this story, I like that story and, and I like that performance, but yeah, again, it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't age well. Again, yeah, you know, I totally, Totally. I didn't even know that. So I love that you're bringing facts and history because I was definitely not prepared for that. Uh, but totally perfect that I feel like that that is like the way that that kind of came about because it is a great performance as well. Like in the vocal cast, I feel like all of the voices are very well done. They're, all of them are very iconic. Like I feel like you can hear any of the voices and be like, that's the Incredibles. And I feel like that's something that stands out about this movie in addition to it just being such a classic. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the voices, yeah, I just, yeah, I, I, again, I, I do love a lot about this movie, and I, I find, I also find uh, Syndrome also to be, yeah, like, I think you were saying before, you know, Incredible Boy turning into Syndrome, an interesting villain as well for this movie, and even uh, Jason Lee, he actually played Syndrome, I also think he did a great job as well, particularly in the vocal performance. And yeah, so I've, again, I just really love this movie, and it was, I guess those are all my general thoughts and feelings about it. And now we can give our, our wind-up scores for the Incredibles. It goes from 0 to 100. And now, Matthew, what is your, uh, what, what, what's your wind-up score? All right. So, actually, th- this is really interesting. I love that you do, like, 0 to 100. Because on my show, we only do 0 to 10. So, this is perfect. Because now I feel like I can be really in-depth with my answer. Uh, so, on a scale of 0 to 100... Um, I feel like this movie, nostalgia factor already is, like, at least 70. Edna adds at least a good five, six points. Overall, I just watched it today because I'm one of those people that if I, when I do a movie podcast, I have to watch the movie and, like, take notes and all that. I am going to give this movie probably, like, a good 80... 80 like 7. I don't know why 7 if I'm being honest, but like 87, I feel like it's not perfect. Otherwise, I feel like there definitely would be a lot higher. But
But just nostalgia-wise, this movie is so great. It's so fun. The soundtrack is amazing. Oh, I've got to comment. I've got to comment the Michael Giacchino score. I love his score. I don't know how I forgot that, but yeah, it is it is amazing. And I feel like some people might say that an 87 is a little high, but I think that it is, I think that's what I'm going to have to give it. It's it's really good, and I feel like it's the perfect, like, nostalgic watch for any day. Like, I'm really tempted to watch the second one, and I just, yeah, I used to watch the movie all the time as a kid, so I feel like that's why it's so high, but yeah, I would say, like, an 87. Okay, that's good, that's good, and... Uh, before, before I move on to giving my wind-up score, I just want to uh, correct a flub I made earlier. So I said it was Minnie Driver who Brad Bird had originally approached to play Edna Mode. I was wrong, because I was like, wait, I think I just said the wrong name. So I was double-checking, and it was actually Lily, Lily Tomlin whom he approached. I'm sure why I made the mistake, but I'm sorry for that. But yeah, it was Lily Tomlin. And then she oh, told you're, you're totally okay. Yeah, uh, great performance. Uh... Yeah. And okay, yeah, that's so that's so you've got you've given your score now and you've done my score. I'm gonna give this yeah, I'm I'm gonna give this a ninety three out of a hundred. Uh on I will say uh, you know, again this is it's a perfect movie. I do have little nitpicks with it and you know, on Letterboxd, if you look up my profile on Letterboxd, you will find that I have given this a five, a full five stars. So, it's just because I do love this movie. Again, like, this is nostalgia at all, like you said. Uh, but if I'm going to give this number a score, it is 93. Again, it does have little in the picks, but overall, this is, uh, you know, one of, you know, uh, uh, you know, my favorite Pixar movie, and definitely one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, it's just a... Again, this is a superhero movie that just stands out and is able to just have a lot of different layers going on in this movie. And I think, you know, Brad Bird, as the writer and director of The Incredibles, I think he did a, an, ama- an amazing job with this. And also, it, it, it's something I, something I forgot to note earlier. It is kind of funny that when you think about it, The Incredibles, so basically it's just kind of like a, a ripoff of a Fantastic Four. Even with like the just the costumes and the superpowers just are quite similar to the Fantastic Four. That and is I've very that true. Really I've always found that to be pretty amusing. And yeah, so again, those are, that, that's my score, 93 out of 100 for the Incredibles. And now we can move on to the spoilery plot recap of the movie. Even though I feel like this is a Pixar movie, it is, it, it is what, 18, 18 years old? Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, 18 years old. So, maybe not too spoilery. I feel like people probably know what goes on in the movie. But in case you don't, you know, just put, put up a spoiler warning here. And we're going to talk about the movie now. So, you can just you can keep on listening. But if you haven't seen the movie and you don't care for spoilers, then you can stay right here. Now, the way this movie opens... I really, I really appreciate this. What kind of like a kind of like a documentary videos of Bob Parr, aka Mr. Incredible, Helen, aka Elastigirl, and Lucius Fox, aka Bozone. And I like how it gives us a peek at them as you know, just people. Yes, uh, the opening sequence is so well done for me because 
uh, like I said, I really, really like how they introduce all the characters. They introduce, like, all the superheroes, all their powers, and you're, like, honestly expecting them to, like, give, like, this is how the movie's gonna take place, but it's actually, like, a little bit of, like, a flashback documentary, like you said. And I think that that is one of my favorite things about this movie is the flashback sequence, especially the introduction of Incrediboy at the beginning. It oh, is yeah, yeah, so yeah, well done. Definitely, definitely. And it's funny because actually uh, there was actually going to be a video, of, uh, an interview with him included in this documentary opening, but Bradford ended up cutting it out because he felt like it would give away just a little too much about Incrediboy before he ends up transforming into syndrome. Just I find mm. that to be interesting. And right. and yeah, and, and and Bird he talked about how he wanted to subvert expectations with his opening. Just be like, Oh, you're gonna go in expecting like action, explosions, wham bam pow. But instead it's just this kind of pretty quiet, again, you know, mundane, mundane versus fantastic, this mundane opening where the superheroes are just talking about what they want out of life and how it's like how their lives end up Kind of diverging in different directions like like bob he talks about wanting to settle down have a family but later on he finds himself struggling with that whereas helen she's like oh i want to be a superhero i don't have time to have a family but when it comes down to it she actually takes pretty well to having a family and taking care of her kids yes that opening is one of my favorites and i feel like we also have the um something that i feel like this might be jumping a little bit but i wanted to talk about this because in the opening sequence we see bob like reading the newspaper and his old buddy is like missing and so like that kind of sparks it so that's why i feel like having the flashback sequence at the beginning really helped set up the plot line definitely definitely and and then we have like the the golden years now so now we're getting into uh, you know, he, you know, Bob being this incredible, and he's swatting bank robbers, and he saves a cat named Squeaker, and I love that, and, and I love again, like I, I was commenting for color symbolism, and we see a pop up right here with this, you know, golden tinge to to the environment, which I love. You know, it sets us again the like golden years and how everything is so you know bright and happy for the superheroes, you know, the end of the end of superhero lives. Yes, and the score—we we get we we get the score just launching off right here. Michael Giacchino's score, and it's just so jazzy and energetic and bombastic, and definitely it it definitely feels like something you would probably hear around this era again because Bad Bird said he wanted this to be mid sixties. Definitely feels like something you would hear around that era. Yeah, I feel like that's like the thing, and I feel like. Also, something that is really random. This is a really random comment. But I did not realize how much of the movie's, like, um, score was, like, going viral on TikTok. There were multiple times in this movie I was, like, listening. And I was like, wait, this was just on TikTok. And I had no idea that it was from The Incredibles. So that was... That's super funny. And that happens in a lot of movies. Like, when I'm watching them for the podcast, I'm like, oh, my gosh. That's from... This was was viral on TikTok. And that's a really random comment. But I'm a huge TikTok person. So, like, hearing that stuff in movies I always think is super cool, especially when it's, like, a score. And I feel like it's, like, really, it's exciting. Yeah, that's nice. You know, I, and I will admit, I'm not on TikTok, so whenever people make TikTok references, I'm just like, oh, I am oblivious to whatever we're talking about. But, yeah, that's nice to know that Michael Giacchino's score, apparently, it is 
popular on TikTok, and, and, and it's good too because again, amazing score, and I think it's also great because Michael Cicchino is just it's funny because he just did the score for the Batman, so I still haven't seen the movie. I've been hearing great things about it, but I've been able to listen to the whole soundtrack, and I love the soundtrack. I seriously think like he could get at the very least he'll get a nomination at the Oscars for best score, the best original score for the Batman. I mean, I have not listened to the score, but I actually do really want to watch that movie. And I was actually thinking about watching it tonight, so that that's so crazy that you mentioned that. Ooh, yeah. Wait, do do you have HBO Max? I do. Is it on there? I don't. Yes, it is on there. I don't, so. Oh, okay. Well, I might might watch it now, because I love good movie scores. I'm a huge movie score nerd, so this is, I'm very excited and done. Yeah, and, and Michael Giacchino, he also did score for Up as well. He, he, he's actually done it for other Pixar movies, like Up. I think he did the score for Inside Out as well. He's actually a, quite a prolific composer. And they're all great movies as well, so he his lineup of scores is absolutely perfect. Definitely, definitely. And Oh yeah, oh, Ratatouille. Oh, that's funny, because Ratatouille also directed by Brad Bird, who composed for two different uh, Brad Bird movies, and Oh, Coco, or he did the score for Coco. Oh, Lightyear. Also, Lightyear, the upcoming Lightyear movie with Chris Evans. Oh, I'm very excited. I know nothing about Lightyear. I just saw a trailer for it because I totally forgot that it was happening. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's coming out already. I know. I'm I'm actually pretty pumped with that as well. It's like, you know, yay, just give more stuff to Chris Evans. (gasps) Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how that plays out. Oh, it's coming out, like, really soon. It comes out, like, next week. Okay, wow. Oh, wow. That's pretty soon. And and then Michael Chikino, he also did score for all of these Tom Holland and Spider-Man movies. Homecoming, Far From Home, and No Way Home. Yes. All great movies. This man is yes. busy at work. <laughs> yes, yes. And 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 then... And then uh, so Bob, so Bob also he uproots that whole tree when he's again when he's shorting the bank robbers, just uproots it, pulls it up the whole thing and uses it to crash, crashes it down on the bank robber's car, and I'm just like, oh, that poor tree. That was great. I totally forgot that that happened, and he just ripped out the entire tree and was like, let's let's crush these bank robbers. Yes, and then. Uh, and then he gets the alert, you know, there's a, another robbery ha- happening, a bus robbery, and then we get Buddy Pine, aka Incredible Boy, who's just budging himself into Bob's car, and he is, his, and he is Mr. Incredible, self-proclaimed number one fan, and, and, and Bob just ends up just, you know, ejecting him out of, out of the car, which, you know, I can... You know, I can't, I can say, you know, I feel like there's a part of me that's like, okay, I feel like maybe, I feel like Bob was a little too mean to uh, Incredible Boy, and it was just like, okay, you could have let him down a little easier. But then there's the other part of me that's kind of like, okay, but also, you can't just, like, Incredible Boy, buddy, buddy, you can't just also try to insert yourself into Mr. Incredible's career here. Like, you're also endangering yourself, you're endangering, you're interrupting his mission. You are endangering other people, you know, as you do see later on, like, you know, the whole mess up with Bon Voyage. So, yeah. 
Yeah, I was like, I I don't re- I believe there's a line where he's like, oh, is that like a costume? And then he's like, no, I'm Incrediboy. And I just think that that like the whole thing, the villain origin story for this movie is, I think it's it's done so well. Yes, yes. And then Bob, he finds Steve up on the rooftop and then which leads to flooding between him and Helen, a- again, aka Elastigirl, who comes onto the scene and she she punches Steve a couple of times, uh, just punches Steve, you know, which I found to be pretty funny. And we do get references to Bob apparently having to get ready for something, and Helen apparently also has a previous engagement. She mentioned that before going away. I think that the way that they did the comedy in this movie is also something that I'm really... I really like because it doesn't feel like dated 2004 comedy, and I feel like that that's what I really like about it. Yeah, definitely. There's a, a timelessness. Yes, yes, it definitely does. So I feel like that that is one of my favorite things about this movie, as well as the comedy and like the whole uh, Incredible Boy origin story is great. Yes. And then Bob, I, I also like how when he's handcuffing his receipt to the roof, uh, Frozone, Lucius, he's just sliding by on his on his ice, so just basically like skiing past. And I like how like they're, they're just talking back and forth. And he's like, "Shouldn't you be getting ready?" And Bob is like, "I still got time." And then Frozone just leaps up onto like the helicopter. And I'm just like, "Oh, this is thing that just happens like probably every day when super when the superheroes are just passing by each other and they're just able to have a few seconds of conversation so casually." <laughs> Frozone. Oh my gosh, I totally forgot to mention Frozone in my uh, general overview. But Frozone is also one of my favorite characters. He is like so funny. He's so cool, so chill, if you will. I hate saying the word chill, but like his Frozone. Uh, I just feel like he, the the colors of his costume, his little superhero outfit. I don't want to say outfit, uniform. I think is very well done, and I think that he's another super iconic character. And it helps that Samuel L. Jackson is the voice actor. That definitely adds to the adds to the character. Oh yes, totally. Samuel Jackson, perfect choice. The voice of Frozone is iconic, and it's it's just all of the voice actors in this movie, like you said, just perfect, uh, perfect performances. Yes, I know, and yeah. So, so I should mention. So Craig T. Nelson, he he plays a Bob, and then it is uh, Helen Hunt. Who plays? Uh, no, I'm sorry, uh, Holly Hunter. I'm sorry, I meant his names up. Holly Hunter as Helen, and I think it's interesting because I feel like an animated movie. Because I feel like a lot of animated movies today, you typically the studios typically go for the big names, kind of like the the A-list celebrities who are gonna draw people to the theaters. And when I see people, I mean like adults, not the kids, because the kids don't give a crap about the celebrities. It's the adults, the parents who are gonna bring their kids to the theaters, to see these movies. And sometimes I feel like that can be okay. Other times I'm like, uh, you didn't really pick the celebrity for this character because you thought they were a good fit for the character. You just did it for the name. I feel like Pixar does a, does, does a good job of typically selecting actors, not because of the celebrity, but because of, just because truly the voice is a good fit for the character. And I feel like that definitely shines through in the Incredibles with the actors yes. pick. That is, that's something I never really thought about, but that definitely does make sense. The movie 
I feel like that's another thing, like, bringing in people. If you bring in, like, big names for the voices, you get more crowds. But with this movie, you do have some big names, but you also have very perfectly chosen voice actors for the specific roles. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, I, I mean, even, so, so, and so Sarah Vowell, she is the voice of Violet. And the thing is, she's not even a professional actor. She is, like, an author of nonfiction books on American history. And... So, and, and the way that uh, she was cast for the role was, I think uh, Brad Bird had apparently just like heard her talking on the radio, I think. And then he was like, oh, she's perfect. Like, she needs to be writers. Let's, let's cast her. And that's how she ended up ended up getting the role. I think that that's so iconic. I had no idea. I, I know. I, I, I only learned this recently as well when I was just doing my research for the movie, you know, for the background info. But it really is, it really is amazing. Again, just like, you know... I feel like it, it is important to just cast the actors who are appropriate for the roles, who can bring the energy just needed for a certain character, rather than putting too much importance on their celebrity status. Yeah, that's so true, and I agree with you 100% on all of the performances. Yes. And then uh, Bob ends up saving a jumper, and I was like, ooh, this is surprisingly dark. And I do think it picks, Pixar can get pretty dark if you think about it with the movies, if, even with stuff like Finding Nemo or stuff like that. But I feel like this in particular is quite dark. Yes, this movie, I actually feel like both Incredibles movies are pretty dark compared to like the normal like Toy Story Ratatouille. But it works <laughs> for the type of movie that it is for sure. Wait, it's in, it's in Incredibles 2. I don't remember. Wait, what do you think was dark about Incredibles 2? Because I thought that was really lighthearted. Oh, I just remember, like, the one character. I think it's, like, the screensaver, screenslaver, oh, something like that. Screenslaver, yeah. I will not lie. I was definitely a little frightened, and I actually went with a family friend, and there were two little two fr- little girls, and they were horrified. It, it, the whole movie is not horribly, like, dark. It's just I feel like the character is can be a little frightening for some compared to like another Pixar movie. You know what? I, I can actually understand that. I can, I can understand that. It w- Like for me, it wasn't like dark, but like for like a younger child, I could see where that could be a little bit yes, darker yes. than normal. I can see that. Yes. Yes. And then, and then we have, we have this whole thing with Bon Voyage and it's just kind of it's funny. I feel like this is definitely kind of like, if, if this were a TV show, Bon Voyage would be one of the, would be like a, a villain of the week sort of thing, you know, just one of the little side villains who had this whole, you know, this French bomb stick going on. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then, oh, yes. Oh, I was just going to say that, like, this would definitely have worked as a TV show because they have so many villains that are introduced throughout, like, the first half and, like, even... In the second half, we feel like got like the split. So I feel like that. I love how you like said it. Just be like a little side villain, and I think that that describes the character perfect. Yes, and his, his name was originally gonna be Bomb Perignon, but apparently they had to, there was a whole trademark conflict. They're like, they're like, no, we don't want we don't want Dom Perignon to be connected with with this character in Pixar. So they ended up having to change the name to Bomb Voyage. I mean, got then, it. Disney does not want that copyright. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> copyright infringement and then yeah. buddy and then and then this is when buddy pine he flies in and he 
and now he's messing things up because he wants to help he wants to help Bob. And then Bob Voyage shows a bomb on his leg and Bob has to kind of like jump on him as he, as Buddy flies out and removes it. But then the bomb throws up the the bomb falls on the monorail track, blows it up, and Bob has to end up he, he ends up having to block the monorail itself. And it was just like, wow, that is I and there was even a moment when he winces. It's very quick, but he winces right before he has to block the monorail. And I appreciate that so much because I feel like it's important to show you that your superheroes, like just because you have superpowers, it doesn't mean they're invincible. You know, they have weaknesses. They have moments where they're, where they're like, oh crap, this is gonna hurt. And far past that exact moment on this monorail. I mean, come on, it's a whole, it's a whole, it's a whole train crashing into him. It's just yeah. super strange. I mean, he is a superhero. Like, I totally get that, but I was like, this is, this might not end well. Yeah, it's, but yeah, so it's good to see, you know, vulnerability like that for a superhero. After this, this is when Bob and Helen get married, and this is, and I, I like how this whole thing turns around. Like, how we thought, we, we thought, like, oh, it was just, you know, the two of them flirting earlier. But then we have this revelation of, oh, they're going to get married. And they even, you know, they even talk during the ceremony. So, like, I thought it was just playful banter. And I, I feel like it's just, it, it, it's, just na- it's just natural banter and, and you know, chemistry between, between the two, between, between Bob and Helen. And again, it makes, it makes this whole thing feel more real, more relatable. Yeah, this movie is super relatable. I feel like, or not, I don't want to say super relatable because I feel like I'm not like a superhero, but like to have the, like the superheroes turn into like just regular mundane humans, I feel like is something that I really enjoyed. Yes, yes. So I, 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 and then the way to see Nans is that they're like, uh, and Bob is like, come on, we're, we're super. What can happen? And then I love how that just transitions so hard to the whole thing about superheroes being out of bars. And everyone just hates them now, and Mr. Incredible is getting sued. And then, and then there's another lawsuit being filed by the victims of the L-Train accidents, as the movie calls it. And I think it's a, I, I think it just is also an interesting way to turn out, because I feel like this, I think this is something we do see more of, I think, as of late, whereas it's, it has to do with the public perception of superheroes and the way that superheroes can't end up being disapproved of, can end up being the target of disdain and contempt. So I just feel yeah. like it's kind of interesting portray that here. Again, again, for a, 2000, a 2004 movie, I feel like it's pretty early on to uh, depict that. Yeah, the public image, I feel like, in this movie plays a super big part to the plot, and I, really, I, I actually really enjoyed that aspect of it. Yeah, I feel like even a... I feel like was the most recent example I can think of is Spider-Man No Way Home, when Peter Parker himself has to deal with that kind of contempt coming at him. And, it, and when I was re-watching The Incredibles, I was just like, oh, Spider-Man No Way Home. Kind of, uh, I'm remembering that now. Yeah. And, and now, out of the Supers, they have to go into this relocation program, which grants them amnesty as long as they put the superhero days behind them. And then we have this... Uh, t- time jump to 15 years later, just a hot cut to Bob working for a show care. And again, color symbolism. The color is just so drained out of here now. It's just so gray and, and bland and depressing compared to the golden years. Yeah, I feel like that's, like you said, the color just plays such a big part in it. And I, I really, really like that. 
as well, just like the whole amnesty thing where it kind of like sets them apart into normal people. But then eventually, I mean, I would say spoiler alert, but we're in the spoiler section. They will have to step step out of their amnesty and start saving the world again. Definitely, definitely. And and then we also have, uh, we have Walter Sean uh, making a cameo here as Mr. Huff, Bob's, Bob's cranky little boss. And I, 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 I Sean doesn't get that much time in this movie, but for the time he gets, I appreciate it. Just as, again, it's just this mean old boss to this, you know, nagging Bob about his work. And he's just being like, you know, oh, your cost gets money. You're giving away too much insurance. I mean, it's, it's actually super funny. Like I, it's an iconic voice, very recognizable. So it, I think it added to like just the a scene that wasn't necessarily a super exciting scene, but it was a comedic scene, and to have that voice really added a nice touch to it. I think. Mm-hmm. Yes, and then we get we also get the introductions to, uh, to the other members of the family. We got we got Helen, who is she was at home and she made a phone call to Bob, and she was and she was watching Jack Jack Jack, the little baby son, and then we also get the introductions to. Uh, dash shield or uh, da- or dash. Also, kind of funny because I'm, I'm just like, wait. So you call them dash shield, and then dash was short. What? Like, did you predict he was gonna have superpowers? He was gonna be like fast, running fast. <laughs> kind of. I a, mean, it was. It's strange. It, I think it's strange. It, when you think about it. It it is really strange, and I think because you have dash and you have Jack Jack, so. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, it, it it's weird. It's weird because it's not it's not like you have the same thing with Violet. Because I feel like Violet is just like oh, like she has she has powers of invisibility and like the force field. She's basically like an invisible woman again for Grand House Four, but Violet doesn't have connections with invisibility or force fields. I mean, I guess I guess is it supposed to be something like ultraviolet maybe, like maybe like the, the light spectrum. I don't know. I don't think I don't think so. I don't think so, but I mean, it would have been cool if they did. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. And I also, and I also want to give props to uh, Spencer Fox. He is the voice actor for Dash, and I think as I think he also is like as a kid actor who is playing his role. I think I think he does a good job of bringing the right amount of of just just amped up energy of just, you know to this kid is always just running around wanting to do stuff, and he's just so like you know just so enthusiastic. And like a little rambunctious child. He is very rambunctious and I actually admire it a lot because I feel like we have like the whole scene with the principal's office and like oh, that whole I, thing. That, I, I would admit, that is a favorite scene of mine when we have this whole revelation where apparently he just runs so fast on the screen that the other people in the room, like the principal and the teacher, you know, the, they, they, they can't see it apparently. Even though I'm like, well, if you look really closely, you can't see a form like zipping back and zipping back and forth really quickly. So I'm like, so wait, so the principal or the or Bernie, the teacher, can't see that? But I guess whatever, you know, whatever we can see it, but they can see, but they can't see. I it, feel so like that's like the thing. It's like the audience, because like we know it's like a movie. Obviously, is like we can see that, but then it adds like to the fact that like this the principal can't see it, which I think it makes it interesting yeah and, and i will say granted it's like we the audience we know dash has you know he has the super speed powers 
they don't they don't know that he has different speed powers. So maybe that could that that could be an element. And, Not for sure. And just even and just even even when Bernie is just like this little rat is guilty. <laughs> I just I, I love that time. <gasps> yeah, the the whole principal scene I think was really well done. Yeah, and there was actually deleted scene originally where it would show the whole classroom and and uh and Dash when he ends up like putting these little signs on the back of Bernie's on Bernie's back and then he ends it with obviously his attack on the sheriff. But I I I like watching the deleted scene and the special features, but I don't think it was needed here. I think you know this is enough. You know, just like when we're in the in the principal's office here. And I was actually wondering, have you ever seen the the special features? This movie? I have not. I feel like I need to though. I feel like after this conversation, I'm gonna want to check them out. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't know because the way I the way I watched them was on the DVDs because I had like this. I I was able to get this like years ago. My my mom bought this you know special DVD package with two discs, and all of the bonus features were on the second disc. So that has a lot of special features on there. I don't know if they're online. I feel like they have to be online probably at this point, but I'm sure you could probably find them somewhere and not just on the special to this package. Yeah, I mean, I, I believe I do have the one um, DVD. So that one that you're talking about, I believe I have the two discs set. So I could definitely check that out and maybe watch them and see Ooh. see what we're talking yeah. about. Oh yeah, I highly recommend that. And even even the commentary also, I would like because I I've, I've done the commentary track, uh this movie and that you know sometimes i i'm kind of bored by commentaries i'm like ah this commentary doesn't really do much for me it's not really revealing much interesting info but uh it's bradford and i think john walker he's the producer for this movie and the two of them they give a lot they give away a lot of really intriguing information about this movie just kind of like behind the scenes info so i also recommend commentary check as well for sure i i will definitely have to check it out and then we and then and Violet also we have a spying on a crush Tony Tony Ridinger just have that little thing and she uses her invisibility and I feel like a lot of kids would be doing that if they hadn't been invisibility powers they'd just be spying on the crushes probably in high school I mean I thought it was super funny because like taking place in like this uh, high school environment that made a lot of sense definitely definitely and. I think and and then so so the way and in the way so we have so we have some more stuff that's happening at home like we have you know Bob driving home and he has to like he tries to uh close the door for his car but because he, he kind of like squeezes the top part it prevents the door from closing so he just smashes it yeah and he shadows the window and then he picks up an anger but the kid witnesses him and blows his, his bubble gum just so shocked. <gasps> yeah. I think that the whole bubblegum scene was super funny too. Yeah, and it, just even when his kid, when his little kid pops up a few times throughout the movie, I find him to be amusing. Just you know, neighborhood kid, he knows what's going on. For sure. And and it, and then we have his whole dinner with the Parr family, and it just I feel like this whole dinner just gives you a really good insight also to the into the family dyna- dynamic. Just little moments like when. Uh, when the was was Violet and Dash arguing, 
and and they end up using those superpowers against each other. Like was it when a when Dash is running around or Violet is using her force field, and, and Dash is like, "Hey, no force fields." I think that the sibling dynamic of this movie is also something super well done. I feel like as a, a brother that has a younger sister, I feel like it's kind of flipped in the movie, but like I feel like we still have like those similar little arguments, minus the superpowers, of course. Yeah, I, I don't have a sibling myself, but I can I, I, I can imagine it. You know, I can imagine the dynamic happening in my household if I were to have a sibling. And For sure. Yeah, it just yeah, it just feels it, it does it really does feel like, you know, just this organically, you know, developed family and or even just little things or like or when Bob he accidentally cuts through the plate when he has to try to cut the steak for for Dash and, and then because also Dash was just like he was trying to just take a huge bite of the steak. And even Helen and his mom is like, smaller bites, Dash, yikes. <laughs> yeah, I think that like just the whole family dynamic is just great. Yeah. And and then even and then of course we we have what you mentioned earlier, Bob learning from the newspaper that Gator Beam is missing, and we have that little tidbit. And then he picks up a table to try to stop everyone from arguing, but then Lucius comes over for a visit, and he freezes the water to Dash spits out, and Dash is like, oh, I like it when it shatters. <laughs> the the one-line comedy of the kids in this movie is, I think, super well done, and like having like the whole superhero family family, family friend dynamic as well. I know, and then even when Violet is like, when, when she's like, this family doesn't know anything about it being normal, and then she goes on to say, the only normal one is Jack Jack, and he's not even toilet trained. That and Jack Jack just like, just laughs, Jack Jack just laughs. I love that line so much. Me too, me too, and, and, and then Bob and Lucius, they go out, because apparently they're like, oh, we're going out for boarding night, but no, they're actually going out and listening to the police scanner, and they, and they end up having this, 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 this casual conversation and they're talking about, you know, Baron Von Ruthless, the monologue he was giving to Lucius. And I don't, I feel like this kind of, this kind of specific kind of human dialogue where you have, a, you're watching two humans just, you know, casually having this conversation, you know, maybe like sitting in a car or just doing something like that. I feel like it's not something you usually see in animation that is, you know, Basically, pretty much, it is aimed at children, or, you know, aimed at families, at the very least, just coming from Pixar. And I feel like you don't see that very often, you know, which I, which I appreciate. And I do think, I, I think Pixar, you know, does a good job of also just, like, coming out of movies that are, on one level, aimed at kids, and then on a different level, aimed at adults. And I yeah. think, you know, think is a good example of that. Totally. Yes. And, and of course, Mirage, we also have Mirage, who we end up learning later on. She's a, a minion for, for Syndrome. She's spying on them. And then Bob and Lucius end up saving people from a burning building. But in the process, they accidentally break into a jewelry store. So Lucius has to like drink a cup of water, and he freezes the skittish cop who bursts in. And, and I, okay, I will say, I don't know how well this specific scene uh, ages, ages, because I feel like, okay, I feel like Lucius, as a black man, if he were trying to even just do something as innocent, looking at grabbing a cup of water, the officer would not let him do that. You know, I just feel like... I feel like that's again, so, so true. 
2004, I do, obviously we had a different view of cops back then. Now, I feel like now it, that would have been handled much differently. I totally agree with you on that. And I feel like that's like something like just the change of times, I feel like really adds to the to the movie. It's still a great movie, but there's definitely things that would play out differently. Definitely. And and then I also I also like the shot of the officer when he turns around and then just finds this frozen bullet thing right in his face. And then he's half like, oh, there's this popsicle just standing right here. And I like that reveal a lot. And yeah, that would definitely, um, alarm us, you know, just, you know, be discombobulating to see. For sure. I just, this, this movie just has so many different, um, aspects, especially with, um, like the family dynamic as well as like the friend dynamic and with Mirage, just the way that each character is introduced, I think it adds a lot to the movie. Definitely, definitely. And then, and then after that, uh, Bob, he ends up uh, coming home, and he ha- ends up, like, he's trying to sneak back in, and he's eating a little piece of cake, but he ends up, Helen ends up finding him, and they're having this, uh, this argument, which, again, I feel like this is definitely one of the points in the movie was, again, like, again, was this kind of, like, human dialogue. Don't see, like, you really see, like, two, like, two adults human adults just having this kind of like everyday you know argument you know be- between like two people in the marriage in an animated movie and just I, I, and again i appreciate it and uh, and had you know had this mad at bob but because he feels like he's developing the sense of safety they've been, they've been able to build up for the family while bob wants to see himself of his mundanity in which he's been confined and he wants to relive his glory days and Violet and Dash, you also find out he's eavesdropping. And I, I would say, I kind of feel like Bob is being kind of a jerk at, at this point. Because I feel like, okay, like, I know, I feel like you want to, sure, you want to relive your glory days, and I can sympathize with that. But also, you're kind of putting your family on low priority now. And I feel like maybe that's the arc he has. He does have the arc of like, oh, like, he has to try to, he has to try to be, he has to put his family on higher priority, not get so distracted by his ambition for glory and fame at superhero what, what, what do you think about that i think that the way that it's portrayed is it does seem like you're right where he it doesn't like feel like he's doing like he's putting his family as his first priority i feel like the living the glory days was like um kind of interesting dynamic um but I think that the way that it's shown, it kind of seems like he wants to get his family in on the fun, too. Well, he's still a little hesitant, especially now that they're slowly realizing, like, uh, Dash has powers. I think he's a little um, little hesitant still. Yeah, I, I, can, I can see that as well. And I can see that as well. And, and yeah, I like, try to get... I, I think I, because also like Helen because obviously like I would say Helen in particular because I'm not sure about the kids because I'm like come on like the children do you really want to get them into the superhero stuff when they're just kids so I'm a, I'm a, I'm a little more reluctant but like oh don't let the kids go but like Helen like Helen could still become a, a superhero you know go back to the superhero days yeah very true next we have Mr Huff calling Bob into his office and Mr Huff ends up shooing Bob out for essentially not. 
he's like, oh, you should be ripping off our customers. And, you know, and, he, and Mr. Huff has like this whole socks, this cogs and a clock metaphor. And now Bob, and then Bob, because he, he sees there's mucker outside, he's angry he's going to stop mucker. So he ends, up, he ends up pulling Mr. Huff through multiple offices. And I was just like, I feel like this is definitely one of the moments where it's like, Bob, you are not, you are doing uh, assholery things right now. Like, what the hell? You're not being good right now. I mean, totally. granted, Mr. Huff, like, sh- sure, he's a jerk, but also don't uh, physically abuse your boss, or just don't don't physically abuse people in general. Just throw some through balls. Yeah, that that is that is very funny. <gasps> yeah, and and and, and then and then now Rick Decker, the government worker, he has to just kind of like clean this whole thing up. And you can definitely feel like, you know, Rick Dicker, he's just kind of like, oh, I'm tired of this. Why do you have to keep messing things up? We have to keep moving your families, relocating you. And he even says, it's like, money, money, money. It costs money. We can't keep doing this, Bob. Also, he does admit, like, if, he, if, if Bob wanted to, like, they could try to re- relocate him again for all time's sake. Yeah, definitely. Rick Dicker is kind of an interesting, you know, again, a side character who isn't that present in the movie. But I kind of I, I like how I get the sense of the fact that he and Bob have known each other for a while. I think he actually I think he's on all the supers. I think he's known all the super supers for a while. And I think it's just you know, I feel like that's an interesting dynamic to get a to get a glimpse of, even though it's not shown it's not the main point of the story. Yeah, for sure. And and then I also wanted to, so, want to say that uh, Bud Lucky, he was the voice of Victor, and he also directed Pixar Shorts that came with some incredible words, Bounden, and he also voiced the Jackalope in Bounden, and also was uh, an animator at Pix- who was a Pixar, a, a character designer who was on quite a few movies, including Toy Story and Ratatouille and A Bug's Life. I mean, all great, all great films. Yeah, Pixar does Pixar does does that with a few of the employees. Where they will have the employees do like the scratch tracks for characters, and then like with Brad Bird, be like, "Oh, you were perfect for this role. Why don't you just do the voice for real?" Which I appreciate. And and I will say, I I P but but lucky because he actually passed away in February of twenty eighteen, and it was right it was right before the Incredibles two. I think yeah. it was like a year before that or something. So you know, I P. And. And then, and then Bob ends up coming home, and he's like, what are you waiting for? And the kid on the tricycle is just like, I don't know, something amazing, I guess. Another and, iconic line. I know, I, I love it too. And and then in his office, Bob is throwing out the show Kelly crap, and then he finds this tablet with a, I think it's called a lenticular screen, if I'm getting the, word, the name correct, just the way, with the way it looks, and... Uh, and and Mirage is using this to give him a, a message. He's like, oh, according to the government, neither of us exist. And she reveals that he's supposed to take down an, a robot called an Omnidroid that's gotten loose into a facility and it'll pay Bob tons of moolah. And I love how, again, Michael Chikino's score is wonderful, just the way it builds up in this, in this specific scene as Bob is just like, as he's looking at all the magazine covers, the drawings and such on the walls, and he feels so proud. Again, just love the score here, and and then I and then this happened. It just spits out Mirage's card for self-destructing, and setting off all the sprinklers. Again, just a I great mean, way to end that. And I feel like it's a mundane. It's a mundane popping back into the movie. 
to con- to contrast with the fantastic. Yeah, it it definitely it was very very well done, and I feel like the way that like this big rescue wasn't like su- this is gonna sound really bad, but like super superhero-y. like it didn't have that like saving the world like with super pro vibes. Like you said, it was very mundane, kind of chill. Yeah, I would say, I would say maybe even uh, comic booky. I feel like it would be a good time for this also. It didn't feel too comic booky. Yes, that's a way better way to describe it. <laughs> and that's a, and I would say not just com not just something being comic booky is a bad thing. There are good versions of being comic booky. If if something is a little cheesy, or you know, it's the right flavor of comic booky, comic booky. But then there are just times when it's like, oh, this is too comic booky. This is too exaggerated. Too too blown out. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Definitely and, very well done. Yeah, and then Bob and then. Bob, in the next scene, he's just aiming his, his little pink hair dryer at all of the books, just trying to drive them out, and I'm just like, oh, the books, so wet, the whole, uh, uh. <laughs> I mean, relatable, I'm a huge reader, so I definitely would be freaking out. <laughs> me too, me too. And then he ends up lying to Helen about going to a conference for a show care, and I'm just like, oh boy, and because he's actually going to go on this, on this little secret superhero mission, and this is, and I would say, when I was, when I was a child, I, I, I feel like I knew in the back of my head there was this whole thing, this whole underlying, uh, you know, element of, oh, like, Helen suspecting that Bob is having an affair. Because they never say it explicitly in the movie, but I feel like in, when I was a kid, it was not, like, consciously present. I feel like it was more in the back of my head I was aware of it. Now I'm just like, when I watch this as someone who was 23 years old, I'm just like, oh yeah, this is incredibly obvious, of course. It's like Helen suspects he's having an affair and i was actually wondering for you when you watched this movie as a kid were you aware of the suspicions of the affair suspicions or that's i was not i did that went straight over my head until i think like the last time i watched this movie which was probably about a year ago so i did not pick up on it like at all (laughs) okay yeah yeah definitely again it's pretty subtle so it's actually a deleted scene where Helen does dream about a Bob like partying with all of these women, and I feel like in that scene, that deleted scene, is definitely if if it was if it if it remained in the movie, it would have been the most explicit reference to the affair, but it was cut out, and I'm glad it was because even Brad Bird in the special features, he is like, yeah, the scene was just unnecessary. Like, and she was talking about how even dream sequences are typically like that. Where it's like, oh, you do this when you're trying to figure out what you're trying to work into the story. Once you have the story all worked out, then it's like, oh, this dream is is just explaining something, but you've already explained well enough in a different part of the movie, so just cut the dream sequence out. Yeah, it, I, I I share the same opinion. Yeah, I think it I think it worked. Definitely, and and then Bob and, and Raj they're flying on the on the little on the plane, and she's informing him about the Omnidroid. And he and, and and she's like, oh, it got smart enough to wonder why it had to take waters. And I think I I like how this is both giving it's a, it's a little tease towards the AI trope because that's how the AI trope is always like it's like oh the AI it gets it grows intelligence and then it's like oh why do I have to follow these humans why don't why can't I just kill them off? So I like I like that it's a little uh, little you know again a nod to the AI trope. I also like how this acts as a foreshadowing to the Omnidroid rebelling against Syndrome in the third act. Yeah. 
Yeah, I really appreciate that. Again, because at the end of the movie, Android is also like, wait, Shadow Mode is controlling me. So then, so then Android just like shoots the remote off, and then now it's free. He doesn't have to follow Syndrome's orders. Yeah, and I, I just, just genuinely think that like the whole Syndrome plot is like one of the strongest parts of this movie. Yes, definitely, definitely, and and then we and then we fly to Nomanistan Island. Which of course it is. No man is an island. I don't think you know. When I was a kid, I I didn't actually catch this. But then, but then when I was older, I think maybe around fourteen or so, or thirteen, I was like, oh, no man is an island. No man is an island. Yeah. And 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 now Bob has a mission of trying to shut down the Omnidroid without completely destroying it. And I didn't. And and then again, something else I didn't, I didn't realize until recently. Uh, Bob, he like they were like, oh, you can't completely destroy it because Syndrome needs the data from this Omnidroid in order to, up in order to make the upgrade for the next Omnidroid. You know, the, the data from the spider was missing credit was missing credible. So I, I like realizing that. But, you know, just just recently. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of things that like we picked. I picked up on like this time around that I didn't necessarily pick up on the last couple times, and I feel like that it kind of adds like more elements as like I get older and notice little things in some of my favorite movies from when I was a child. Oh, definitely, definitely. And and then and then Bob he has to it's initially hard for him to kind of like suck his middle aged body into the pod. Again, the mundane crashing was a fantastic and. Then he has to check through the forest for a while after he gets out of the pod before coming up against the Omnidroid. And I like the robot design. It's very, I think it's simple, yet eye-catching. Just, just, just like this spherical robot with these, with these uh, long legs. Kind of like, when I, when I look at the legs, I think of like Dr. Octopus. If it's just yes. so Those type of, like those long, bendy robo legs. For sure, and and and, and then we and then we, we, it gets into this subterranean lava ball, and Bob throws out his back, but then the Omnidroid ends up grabbing him and then stretching him out, but then it stretches Bob enough to crack his back, and I, I and I and I, and I think this is hilarious. It's like oh, just a chiropractic trick he need, he needed. And um, and the Omnidroid ends up stabbing itself numerous times, you know, when Bob gets inside it before it has to reach inside itself and just pull out its own core and its determined efforts to kill Bob. And I, I was like, yeah, this is a clever way to defeat the Omnidroid. And also, again, the, the backtracking, I, I just, again, love that. Yeah, it's, I think that it was super well done. Uh, comedy, little things, like having a little backcrack comedy added to like a pretty intense serious or i wouldn't say like pretty intense but like more serious and intense definitely definitely and 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 then we also find out mirage and syndrome have been watching him through the little robo parrot so we have like we and we have this old dinner scene between bob and mirage and and then in the background we have this whole lava wall and i just i again just visually a lot of visuals in this movie, and I love the visuals of the lava, lava wall just in the background, and just the way, and just the lighting in this room. It's really, it just, it's a, it's really compelling to just watch. 
and also kind of relaxing too. For sure. Uh, the I feel like adding to what you've been saying about the color colors in this movie, having like compelling colors on the screen definitely adds to like the vibe of the movie. So I think that that really was a great thing to add. And I really appreciated yeah. like having like the different um contrasting colors in different scenes. Yes. And now and now, and now we have an, a montage where we have Bob, you know, connecting with his family and he's making money, he buying he's buying a new car, uh, flooding with Helen and touching her butt. Uh, and then he, and then she touches and then she kinda like gives him a little flick back and again, kinda like, I'm kind of surprised we have that in a, in a Pixar movie. It passes by very quickly, but again, kind of like one of the one of the slightly more mature moments in a Pixar movie. Yeah. And 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 like we have we have Bob exercising, and like he's using he's using the, the chains, and this is all again all accompanied by Giacchino's grand you know jazzy score. Again, just like again, just love the score. Yeah, it's just it it really set it really sets the tone well. I think it's just like you know for the movie in general, but also for a specific montage, and just the energy it's trying to convey. Yeah, for sure. And then Bob has a hold and his super suit, so he got to go to Edna mode or E for help. Uh, oh, also, so, so the hole in the super suit, in his super suit, apparently that was really difficult for the animators to make. And generally, anything was the, anything that involved lots of tiny little movements. So water, fire, uh, grass, fabric, hair, anything like that is extremely challenging for the animators to make. And so, like, like having this just hole in, in, in the super suit was a real challenge for, for the animators to work on. That's super interesting. Again, yeah, yeah. So because because, because I, as I mentioned this earlier, the army droid cut him uh, during the fight, so that's why it has holes on on the arm. But yeah, it's just like this one. It is like this one shot basically where he put. It's not. It's not just a hole, but he has. To, but he, but Bob puts his hand through the hole, and that. And I think that's what the real challenge is. It's like having this this entity, this animated entity, kind of like move through a hole that has these little fabric pieces all around the rims and i think that's what the real challenge is i think it's kind of funny i think when you look into it i think if you look if you really look into all of the challenges for animation i think it does give you definitely a new perspective on like oh like all of these little details i took for granted again like with water or fire it has actually like incredibly it's an arduous task to accomplish and that's why I really appreciate things like Moana. Like Moana has this beautiful water. It's like some of the be- most beautiful an- water animation I've ever seen in Moana. But also, that was really tough to accomplish. This For beautiful sure. Animation. I love Moana. And so, like, I definitely know that, like, the animation of the movie is top tier. Oh, yes, definitely. And yeah, so, so, so then, again, Bob is going to see Ed- Edna and... I, and then, yeah, so she, so, Edna, she is just this, again, like you said, iconic, she is a signature character, you know, she's just, she, she just has this energy about her, she's just so, like, strong-willed, and, you know, she knows what she wants, she's the boss, and she has this huge house, 
and it's, just, it's so luxurious. It has this huge, you know, like freeze in the in the background. I think am I using I freeze? I think I'm using the correct word. It's like F R I Z E. I think I'm using the correct word. I so I guess like, I think you're I think you're right. And 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 so and and Brad Bird he commented on the house being it being Bauhaus meets Greek ruins, which I think is a is a fitting that that's a fitting uh a, a fitting vision for the house because even like she has like the I think it was like a statue, like in in the background and it was like, like this massive statue has a simple design but it, it does look like something that I feel like it could have existed like hundreds of years ago. In some like ancient temple. And yes. Do you, do you remember the statue I'm talking about? I'm trying. I'm trying to describe it, but I'm not sure. Yes, I can picture it. I uh, I think that it was the way that Brad described it is like the best way to describe it with like just the design and all the aspects. Definitely, and 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 then this is when we get I think one of the best scenes in the movie when uh when uh when Bob is trying to convince her to like, hey, can you make me a new suit? And she's kind of, and she's, and then she ends up wanting to create his whole new design. And I like, and then I like when she's like, you pushed too hard, darling, but I accept. And then she pulls out a notepad and she's like, bold, dramatic, heroic. And then Bob wants, he wants to, ca- he wants to cape for this design, and she's like, no capes, and she throws the little paper ball at him, and it starts off this whole thing, this whole montage of, of, of her being like, there's no capes, and we see a few superheroes who die because of her capes. <gasps> it's, yeah, it's, I, the whole cape thing is just a great joke that I really thought was very well done. And it pays off because at the end of the movie, obviously, Syndrome's cape gets caught and uh, and the and the death turbine and gets sucked in. Quite a gruesome death, but that is how he ends. So I, yeah, I, I like I like it, that. It's and, funny. And and on top of that, so I actually learned that apparently this is meant to be a, an homage to Watchmen because this exact thing happens in Watchmen, where there's a superhero who has a cape and he tries to stop a robbery. But his cape gets caught in the door of, of the bank, and he ends up getting killed. So that's what actually what. So that's actually like the whole thing being not to Watchmen, which I only recently learned, and I'm just like, wow, this this is, again like a lot of a lot of little details that uh, I didn't I didn't know about until just a few months ago when I was doing the research for this movie. It is quite fascinating. Uh, are you familiar with Watchmen? I, because I've never, I've never really gotten into Watchmen before, but I've been thinking about it. I've never, yeah, I've never gotten into it before. It, it, it's not, it's like, there's a graphic novel, there's a movie, there's also like a TV show on HBO Max, which, I mean, someday, when I get HBO Max, I will watch the, I will watch the Watchmen series on there, because I've heard great things about Watchmen on HBO Max. So, yeah. Totally. So, yeah, after, after the cape, after the whole cape thing, uh, we have Helen, kind of like, she, there's a moment where she finds Revise's hair on Bob's clothes, and she also overhears him talking on the phone. So now she's like, "Oh crap! Is there an affair going on?" And and then and Bob is going off on another trip to No Manistan Island. And I I also so I was wondering, do you think that maybe I was thinking the suspicions of an affair? I was wondering if this possibly connects with the themes going on in this movie of reclaiming your youth and your virility. Since that is a common motivation for people cheating, they want to try to reclaim their youth. What do you think about that? 
that's I've never heard of that connection. Um, I think it could definitely have applied though, for sure. I don't. I just don't think. I'm not sure that it was like that deep in this oh, story it, specifically. It's not. It's not. I don't. It's not like. It's not like layers. Layers deep. But I think just a little something. You know, just a little additional piece to add to the thematic heft of the movie. Again, because because the whole cheating suspicions themselves are again like you know they're pretty, uh, they're pretty they're quite subtle. So, but yeah, it's just something I was connecting. And again, we and again back to No Man Is Island, and uh, and then and you know he goes up and he goes he goes up to the the pod with Mirage to the waterfall. Which again, I I, I love waterfall, but I also know that was hard to animate. Again, water. For sure, yeah. It's a it's a great like movie scene, but like I can only imagine the work that went into that. And, and even just the whole design of this environment of No Man's Sand Island, just like how it's built like out in nature and like with the whole forest, and you got the volcano, and just how so much like nature is such an is such an integral part of this environment. Yeah, and I think it all it, it adds color, it adds life, and when especially in comparison to like. The urban settings. Even though I noticed as the movie progresses, it starts out all gray and, and dull, but as the movie progresses, there is more life to the color. And it's a little brighter. And I think that's supposed to add to the whole arc of, oh, like, you know, so, you know, superheroes are getting back into action. And so that's where the life is coming in now. Yes, that's a really good way to look at it. And then back at home, Helen is vacuuming, and and then she acts. She she kind of she kind of peeks her vacuum into Bob's office, and now it's like, oh no, she's hearing all of this junk being sucked up into the vacuum. So now she just has to clean up Bob's office now. And I and I understand that feeling. It's like, oh no, like you, you you don't you don't want to clean up the mess that you know is in some into a certain area. You just want to steer around it, but it's then it's gonna nag on your mind, and you just have to clean it up. So I I can sympathize with Helen here. Because she even has a moment where it's like, ah, oh, like if her body just goes, ah, oh, why? It's it's like it's a nice added little comedy for sure. Yes, and but then she just is well, she she finds a mended rip in Bob's super suit, and she instantly realizes this is E's work, and and then she's you know she's, she's bragging about uh, the suit, and she's like, yes, 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 marvelous, isn't it? Much better than those horrible pajamas he used to wear, and she's just so fast moving. And just like imposing in the scene, and she's like, "Oh, come down and see see the new suit." And Helen is just like, "Bob's suit. I want to see Bob's suit." I really liked the way that just Edna just moved. I don't want just the way she just kept going. I know, just so headstrong, and and then she's like, "You come in one hour, darling. I insist. Okay, okay, goodbye." And she hangs up the hangs up the phone. It just leaves Helen just standing there looking like, what? 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 And he's like, that's a question mark. That's where your brother has. Yeah. It's, it was really funny. And then we, we've got Bob and he's going to the conference room. But then this whole, t- turns into a whole thing with the Omnidroid. And so I'm just pulling him out of the room. And now we get the introduction of Syndrome. He's not incredible anymore. And he's all embittered after Bob's rejection of him. And... I think, and and now and and now I think, uh, I just I, I, yeah, syndrome. Like again, I think it's I think he's quite intriguing as this character, who, you know, it it he he is again embittered. He feels like he had a chance to be, you know, Mr. Incredible sidekick. 
he was turned down, and now he has, you know, as the movie goes on, you find out, oh, he has this whole thing about wanting to wipe out supers, and wipe out supers in general by creating these, by creating the technology. First, he wants to be a super, and then when he's had his fun, he'll sell off his inventions so that everyone can be supers. And then he, and then obviously at the end when he's like, and when everyone's super, no one will be. And I yeah. think, I, I'm, intrigued, I'm intrigued by that. I feel like that's not something you see often. I feel like it's a very specific viewpoint on, on, a, on a method on how to wipe out supers. And I find the way the syndrome is trying to pursue it to be intriguing here. It's it's really interesting, but I think that it, like you said, it like is very well done. Yes, and and even to, so, and because the weapon he has is just zero point energy, and I and I, and I like and I like the way he uses it in this movie. And it's funny because Brad Bird, he was actually trying to come up with a corny name for this weapon, but then he ended up looking this up on the internet, and he was like, oh, and he found out that the military. Has actually been had actually been working on this exact thing, and it's called zero point energy in real life. So that's when he was just like, "Oh, might as well use this name." And it's basically like an invention that's military again trying to trying to use it to make heavy things weightless, and which I find to be fascinating. It's like, oh, like you know, trying to work on this in real life. And, yeah, and and then Bob is jumping down the waterfall, and he has to escape him, and then. So, I, I, okay, I do have another nitpick here, because then Syndrome, he, like, after dropping the bomb, uh, Bob ends up getting exploded into the cavern where Gazer Beam's corpse is resting, and then we have, like, you know, Gazer Beam apparently lasered word chronos into the cave's wall, and then Syndrome ends up using this tracker, sending it down, like, the scanner to try to find Bob, and then Bob hides behind the bones of Gazer Beam. And that's it. Like the track, the scanner does not, uh, does not find him. The scanner just does such a poor job. It's like, wow, you can't scan through the bones, or the scanner can't just like fly around Gazer Beam's body to find Bob. That so that is an old nitpick I have. I'm just like, hmm, that's that's a poor equipment there. Bit of a plot hole. Yeah, for sure. And 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 then I, I, he. And now she brings Helen into a suit design lab, and we have basically a whole fashion show, a uh, super suit fashion show, was a suit that she designed not just for Bob but for the whole family. And I think some a couple of her best lines are here, where she's like, "Gobble gobble 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 gobble, too much of it, darling, too much." And then also she says, "And she and machine washboard, darling, that's a new feature." Some of the best ones. I love Edna, and that that the machine washable line is one of my favorites. I know, and then and then even I, I like when uh when she does like she says like for the suit for Jack Jack she does mention like oh I I, I don't know what Jack Jack's powers are so I'm just covering the bases, and oh, I like that little moment. And then Helen does mention like oh he doesn't have any powers, and then he is like actually look fabulous anyway, but. <laughs> Also, it does bring up, yeah, at this point, they actually believe that Jack-Jack does not have superpowers, and they don't find it out until the sequel, which I forgot about for a while. I mean, she covered all the bases, so I think that that was a super funny way to add to that. Yes. And, and, and then now, and then now, he, and then 
we have this whole moment where Edna learns that Bob went behind Helen's back, Helen's back and as and Edna is like, it's like she he, she's asking if Helen knows where he is. And again, another little moment to uh, point out, like again, like suspicions have an affair, and not it's not over the top though, not overstated, but just you know it's there, it's there for you to pick up. And again, we cut back to the island, and now Bob is sneaking around, you know, doing some espionage work basically, and he has to get past the guards, he gets inside. Uh, again, b- back to the lava wall. I love the wa- lava wall here when it's just opening up and then closing back down. I, I love the look of the lava walls. Yeah, it's. I feel like just the special effects and like the the little superhero-y moments and like the cool little layers. I think add to the movie, and it, and it's really well done. Yes, and I think he he logs into the system with password chronos, and now and, and now what we have next up here, I think it is. I, I think now this is particularly where the movie where the movie's editing shines, because it cuts back and forth between Bob as he's logging into the system, he's looking up the supers, he's finding out that how he's he's finding out syndrome terminated, basically most of the supers with the Omnidroid and has been continually updating the Omnidroid with the again with the data from the fights, and meanwhile we also cut to Helen as she's calling in her care and she learns they fired Bob. And it all builds up with this again, Shakino's suspenseful score, just building up tension, and it's just like, you know, it just it just really building up tension here, and then it, and then it ends with Helen pressing the button on the tracker that E that E has given her, and then it links the Bob suit, which sets off the security system around him, and I just love how it's like it seems like these scenes are disconnected at first, but then you realize oh they're all building up to this one moment. That is a, that affects both both uh both plot lines. Yes, I feel like when we have like a movie that has like multiple plot lines when they start coming together and then like when they have things that affect both of the plot lines, like you said, it makes for like a stronger overall movie. Definitely, yeah. When yeah, when you have like plot lines, yeah, merging together, and just and 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 you have one event that happened occurs and it ends up spreading you know shock waves across you know one across two or more plot lines always always, always nice to see it when it's executed well and, for sure and then even and then even and then we have the goo balls and I, I just love the design of these goo balls here and i you know just the way they look and and they end up being effective at deterring uh, bob and preventing him from escaping also it's just like oh claustrophobia just ramping that up, I would hate to be trapped within all of these goo balls as they explode, you know, it's expand all over my body, squishing into my face. Yeah, uh, I would not vibe with that at all. No, 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 no. And then, and then we cut back to Helen as she's crying, and she's like, oh no, I'm losing him, I'm losing Bob. But Anna just slaps her with the newspaper rolls, and she's like, pull yourself together! And she ends up, you know, you know, giving basically Helen a little pep talk, and and then she, and like, I love how the scene ends with her inviting Helen back, and she's like, I enjoy our visits, and it is too bad. Like even when I was a kid, I was like, oh no, this is the last moment we have with with Edna, and that's it, nothing more for the, for the rest of the movie. And even as again as a kid, I was always disappointed by that because I was like, oh no, more more E, more Edna mode. Yeah, Edna was always my favorite, so I definitely relate to that. Yes, and 
and, and now Helen is making plans to fly off, and and she is calling in a solid, that's snug, a friend of her older, and snug, so he's the one who gives her the plane to fly. She was originally going to actually fly the plane to No Man Sand Island, and there's this whole deleted scene where she ends up dying when, when, the, when the plane gets shot down. And, but, but Brad Bird ended up cutting Snug out of the movie as a character because he was like, oh no, this is making things too, it, it, it's just, it's too much. It's, it's stuffing the movie with too much content and it's best to just trim it down and just cut the character out of the movie. Aside from having just, you know, having a mention, you know, having a phone call there, but otherwise he's not someone we see in the movie. Which I think is, is a good decision, you know, again, there are times like that when it's like, no, you, you have to cut stuff out, otherwise it's just packing too much into the movie over stuff. For sure. You, like, you just, I feel like especially in, like, a Disney Pixar movie, when you have, like, when it's meant for the younger audiences, you can't add too much content, otherwise it definitely can get a little too confusing. I think especially for this movie, which is it's close. It was like what an, an hour and fifty five minutes, I think, or something like that. Yeah, it it was it was quite a lengthy one. It, yeah, it, it is long, definitely for a Pixar for both for an animated movie and for a Pixar movie, and yeah, so definitely if you, if you can cut stuff out, just do that. I think nowadays in general, I really appreciate watching movies that are an hour and a half or an hour and forty minutes. Not that I'm like, against movies that are two hours or two and a half hours. I mean, even the, the Batman is three hours long, but if you if you need that length of time to tell your story and it's all compelling, okay, go for it. It's when the movies are extra long and they, they feel like they drag on. It's when I object to the lengthy run times. Yes, definitely agree. Yes, and and then yeah, so but Violet and Dash are also buzzing into Helen's business, and Dash is like he's trying on his suit, and 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 then Violet also finds out his suit turns invisible. When she makes physical contact with it, and I like how the kids are just like they're, they're getting kind of nosy here, you know. So it's like, what what's mom up to? I feel like all kids would be like that. I, I know I would be definitely. I would have definitely been up been like that for sure. Yep, yep, and 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 then uh, and then Bob is and then we cut to Bob being electro tortured as Syndrome is interrogating him. And I think, again, like, it's just great lines here. And I think that Jason Lee, the actor who plays, uh, plays Syndrome, he does a great job with this particular line where he says, tricking the pro by hiding under the bones of another super? Oh, man, I'm still geeking out about it. Because I feel like it, it because at the end, Syndrome is still a geek. Like, he's still kind of like a nerd. And he will still have this realistic reaction to someone who he did formerly idolize, being able to hide from him, which I appreciate. Yeah. Again, I think it makes Syndrome a little more like, oh, like, oh this is more plausible for character. He still feels pretty human. You know, just because he's a villain doesn't mean he can't have his nerdy moments. Yeah, for sure. I feel like you can have a nerdy villain, for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah definitely. I don't, yeah, I, I don't think, I feel like Syndrome is... I can't think of any other like nerdy villains. Can you? I aside from Syndrome, I'm trying to think of someone. But not really. Not none specifically come to mind for me. I feel like I feel like, I feel like that's something I like to see more often. More geeky villains. And yeah, and then and then Dash invited and they we find out oh they sneaked on to the plane with her mom, leaving Jack Jack with a babysitter named Carly. And we have a little phone call with, with Helen calls the babysitter and Carly is like. Mozart makes babies smarter. 
and and just and, and then also, so ha- have you ever seen Zack Zack Attack? That's, yes. I, okay. Yeah. Good. Good. That is a that's a, a good a good choice. Just all the chaos that Kyrie has to deal with. Yes, and, I love. I that's a really good one. Yes, and and then and then Mr. Wars are now pursuing Helen's plane, and I love it. Now I I love the usage of camera here. How the cinematography works here, just like as it's moving around the plane. And it has, and as a plane that's like moving, it's like flying up and down and spinning around. I think it's just a great use of camera here. And, For sure. You know, as it's trying to weave around all of the missiles. And I think it's also a good, we, we have like a good, good character moment also provided because she's struggling to create a force field, but she can't. And Helen, Helen is trying to pressure her. And then obviously we have later on where Helen does apologize to Violet trying to pressure her. And then at the end, Violet is able to have her eyes, and she's able to create the force field to protect everyone at the end. So, you know, again, I think it's all very naturally woven into the movie in these little moments to have these eyes, and I just, I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, I really think that, like, just the little things that went into this pretty big movie make uh, it play out very well. Definitely, and, 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 and then so, so... The plane, the plane does end up getting shot down, unfortunately. But but what? But Helen is able to wrap herself around her kids, and her suit takes the damage. And because, because I forgot to mention this before, uh, E did design her suit to be invincible, to be essentially invincible. And but then she also said it grieves like Egyptian cotton. <laughs> and, yeah. And and Helen, yeah. She, again, she. Uh, she uses her elasticity powers to protect her kids, and and both her elasticity powers and her suit to protect her kids. She ends up just blowing up like a like a, a parachute, and also so when the plane crashes into the ocean and it glows at S, so that's actually a little a little nod to Snug, because S is meant to stand for Snug because that was Snug's plane. So she leaves that behind, even though Snug again not a character in the movie someone who's mentioned but i like that it all not him yeah i love the pixar easter eggs always super well done yep yep and then i think also and then we have a pretty dark moment where spock threatens and back in the you know his electro torture room he threatens to crush mirage after grabbing her but he doesn't and then the, but 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 syndrome actually is like ah go ahead but Bob doesn't, and Syndrome ends up accusing him of being weak for not killing her, even when he has nothing to lose. I think that's also a pretty dark moment, because it's like, yeah, Bob could have killed her if he wanted to, but he did end up staring her. Also dark, because Syndrome is like, wow, Syndrome is so ruthless. It's like, wow, he does not care about Mirage, and she would have been perfectly okay with letting Bob kill her if he wanted to. Yeah, that was really, I will not lie, that was a super dark moment. And, and that also kicks off Mirage, I feel like Mirage is on like because later on she does like have the moment where she's like she tells Bob she tells Syndrome Bob isn't weak just because he values life, and and then she and she because she even has a moment of realization where she's like wow Syndrome again Syndrome does not give a crap about me and that's why she ends up having the she betrays him later on she has to have to turn around and just and I love even what she says you know next time you gamble bet your own life and. Just like a little, like syndrome is is definitely a scumbag, and like even when he tries to kiss kiss Mirage, and I, I I feel like the relationship between them is meant to be romantic, but for some reason in that 
and that of moment when he tries to kiss her, it felt a little gross to me. What, what do you think about that? That was such a weird, like, moment. I definitely felt like there was an allusion to it, but, like, I still think it was, like, a really weird plot choice. An allusion to the, to the romance between them. Yeah. Way. Yeah. Totally. But, but yeah, but it's, it's like, yeah, you know, syndrome, you know. For some reason, yeah, you know, again, a scumbag. You're, you're again, willing to sacrifice. Again, if she, like, if she really is your girlfriend, like, if you really are dating, you're also, like, like that's pretty big. You're willing to sacrifice her. Again, he is just a pretty selfish, you know. Not, not, not a good person, definitely. Uh, and, and then uh, Helen and Violet and Dash, they all end up transporting themselves to the island. When Helen has to shave her body into a boat, and Dash kicks, you know, uses his legs to kick them really fast to the island. Also, like uh, that's a creative way of using your powers. I love. I I don't know if I mentioned this yet. I love how the powers combine, and how creative they are. And I feel like this is a, this is a good example of how they transport themselves to the island. Yes, I think that it just adds some little touches that I think. The powers just also in this movie, I think, are 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 great choices. Yeah, I know, but yeah, because also I forgot to mention this, but it is for each of the characters. Because Brad Bird did talk about how it's like, uh, for so, so for example, like for Bob, Bob is meant to be like, oh, like he's the dad, he's like shouldering all of the, the burden for the family, so he has the super strength. I think Helen is a mom, and she's like stretching herself to take care of all of these demands, so she's like elastic. Violet wants to be invisible because she's like a teenager, and she just wants to pass, you know, slide by under the radar. So she, that's why she has the powers of invisibility. And I guess maybe like the force field, also like pushing people away. Dash is like energetic, you know, he just wants to go, 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 so that's why he's running fast. And then I think Jack Jack is meant to be, like, because he's a baby, he, he's meant to be like, he has potential to do lots of things. So that's why he has lots of different powers, because he hasn't quite grown up yet. He still has he could go on various different paths of life. He could still he could be he could be different. He could be have any number of various personality traits. So that's why yeah, he has like that, all the different That's really true. I think I never really thought about it that way and I think that that's a really great way to think about it. I know, I, I love it too. Again, like you know, a lot of a lot of little details like that and I appreciate them about the movie. Yeah, and then so again, back on the island, Helen, Violet, Violet, and Dash, they set up a fire in the cave, and Helen tells them to use her powers, and she, she also warns them to not fighting the bad guys from the Saturday morning cartoons. You know, this isn't a situation where the kids won't die just because they're kids, you know, because these, these people on the island, they will kill them if they have a chance. And I think that's also a great scene where it's like, it, it really sends home the message, like, hey, just because, you know, like, like what you're saying. You know, you can't treat this like, oh, it's all lighthearted. You know, it'll be okay. It'll be just be a Saturday morning cartoon, which is also funny because then it makes me think about Saturday morning cartoons and I used to watch them. And it's like, yeah, for those, this strike for a very different tone, you know? It's like, because like, oh, the television studios, they're like, oh, the kids can't handle like, you know, dark, dark content that's too dark. We have to keep it all light and fluffy for them. And, which I, you know, I, I like that. Yeah, this and I think that this movie does that really well because you're not like they're not super overdoing the dark it no, dark no. content of the movie, but it's still pretty well done. Yeah, it it conveys a message, you know, 
bottom up. Yeah, for sure. And and then uh, and then oh, also a bit before this, when Helen when they're all climbing onto the beach and they're all so tired, I like I like the little animation moment where Helen's legs are just so long and limp like noodles as she's climbing up onto the beach, because of course, like yeah, her body has been like molded into this boat for such a long time yeah of course she would be tired and of course her body would react like that just being all elastic and loose yeah i i just i, I would also say one of my another thing is that i really love elastigirl in this movie so like every time that like helen or anything was in this it was always like one of my favorites yeah i i, I really i really appreciate it too, too and just, yeah and again like this whole family dynamic i think in general I, I love the role it plays in this, and 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 I think I, I think I think that just a comment on the sequel. I think something that did that did disappoint me about the sequel is that the family was not together for the majority of the movie. We ended up splitting them up because it was it was, it was Helen going off by herself while Bob was staying at home to take care of the kids. And I kind of wish that that the movie could have had them just stay together at least for eighty percent, you know, eighty or eighty five percent of the movie. So, oh, know, I totally I forgot about that, but I do now. I remember that. Yeah, because because even in, in this movie, we don't have the whole family staying together for the whole time. We do have separation, so just something uh, something I was thinking about when I was reflecting on the sequel. And yeah, so and then and then also another another moment is when Violet she kind of tucks half her hair behind her ear, and this is after Helen apologizes to her. For being too hard on her when she wasn't able to make the force field back on the plane, and I think obviously this is when Violet she's starting to gain just a little, a little more confidence because she's been having the hair covering pretty much you know most of you know half her face, but now she's starting to starting to tuck half her hair behind her ear, you know, a physical signal of her gaining more confidence, and of course that will build up, you know, she'll have all of the hair tucked behind her, her ears. At yeah. The end of the movie. And. And then, and then more as more espionage, and in general, I like to sneaking around. I feel like we don't get, I don't, I feel like we don't get much sneaking around in superhero movies these days. You know, it's kind of like, you know, ooh, like, you know, let's, let's spy, like, you know, let's slip into this passage, and let's catch a ride on this vehicle, like Helen does with the little, little paws. And I appreciate that. And and and, and along the way, she also sees the rockets. That they're gonna end up using to send the Omni Droid to a uh, Municipal. I've got to mention the name of the town that they come from. Is Municipal, and uh, and then and then also like the moment when another pod almost runs Helen over, but she's fastened out against the tunnel wall, and then also another moment where she where she's being critical of her body. She's looking in the mirror, again mundane against the fantastic. Which, and 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 Brad Bird also talks about this moment in the commentary track, where he he acknowledges it's like yeah, women do feel critical of their own bodies, and so he felt like it would be realistic to just have his own moments in this movie. Yeah, for sure. Yes, and, and then this next scene when Helen gets caught between the doors, all of like her leg, her waist, her arm, I just find it to be such an imaginatively drawn scene. Again, it, it's like yeah, you have someone who has these elastic powers. And this is such a great way to be able to display that and just show like how would someone be able to get out of this situation. Yeah, I think you're that's a great example of like the superpowers and getting out of this situation. 
yeah, and even when she, even when her arm is in the elevator, and she kind of like is moving her hand around, and she feels like God's face for a bit before she finally punches him, and just a, a great moment there. Yeah, I totally agree. One of my favorite moments from the from the movie. Yes, yes, and then, and then she ends up escaping the situation. She stuffs all of the unconscious guys into a locker, and I'm just like, oh, does anyone ever get them out? I'm not sure. Yeah, that's that's yeah. true. I didn't think about that. I know, I know. And and then we cut back to Violet and Dash, who are still back in the cave. Violet is now tra- is now trying to train a force field on the little campfire they have. You know, because she, she she wants to she wants to succeed next time. She wants to get she wants to improve on this. And meanwhile, Dash is gonna go explore the cavern. Also, in this scene, so Violet she Violet Violet catches on to the suspicions of an affair because she's like she mentions like oh like the marriage is, is a stake but dad does not notice uh, does not notice that which i feel like it's kind of like it's kind of like the kids like i feel like the older kids watching this movie would catch on to the affair stuff but not like not kids dash's age which, yeah I- probably not i like the it's not like explicitly mentioned so it could, I, it could definitely like sneak by i feel like in a lot of the viewers minds mm-hmm. yes yes and yeah so so the cave and then dash again goes exploring the cave and then this is, and, and then the army droid ends up being launched uh, out of the volcano dash and uh dash and Violet have to have to skedaddle out of the cave because that ends up being the exhaust vents. They were really close to getting just all burnt up there. And the Omnitroid ends up flying towards Munisterburg. And then next morning, Dash wakes up on Vitus and he's all grossed out. And he's just like, uh, 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 and he jumps off of her. And, and then the pairs, we've got this mobile pair coming back again. Saying voice key and correct, and now the gods are pursuing the kids now. And now they're in trouble. And now Mirage frees Bob, who subsequently throttled her, but she reveals his family survived the crash and is on the island. And the hug right as Helen shows up, so she punches Mirage in the face from all the way across the room. <laughs> yeah, I feel like Mirage is also one of my favorites, so like just. It, I feel like her storyline is another part of this movie that I really appreciate, and I think it's pretty well done. Yeah, I, I like I, I like I like her character evolution as well, and just how she ends up, you know, she ends up squatting the the supers, the, the Incredibles at the end, and and then and then Bob just Bob just, just uh, grabs Helen's arm and pulls her in for a kiss, and they run out of the room, and uh. And I, I like how uh, Helen is like, I don't think you're striking a proper tone here. You can hear that in the background because we're arguing because because Bob thinks that Helen brought, wanted to bring the kids along. And he's like, why did you do that? You're endangering them. And she's like, I don't, I didn't bring them. They stole away. Which is true. They did stole away. Little troublemakers. <laughs> totally. And, and then we cut back to Violet and Dash who are being pursued by the guards. And this leads up to one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. I think one, probably one of my favorite action sequences across all superhero content is the, I think apparently this, this scene is called the 100 Mile Dash. And this is when Dash is just running throughout 
the forest, and he's and he is just trying to evade all of the velocipods that are chasing after him. And I just think it's again cre- creative. It's the way this movie explores the powers creatively, and he and it's not just being able to display the powers in creatively. It's also letting Dash have this moment where he's like, oh. Like, I've never used my, I've never really been able to explore my powers to this extent. Let me see what I can do. And he has those moments where he's like, where he has these moments of awe, of realization, like, oh, I can do this, I can do that. And he's all excited. And it's just really great. And it's like, or, or even discovering he's able to punch really fast. Yeah, I think that, like, the progression of, like, using the powers is also a part of this movie that, like, shows that mundane versus, like, fantastic, like you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or even like running on water again, something he's never been able to do before, but then he ends up being able to reuse this ability later on and in the climax, and and then and then at the end he runs back and forth until he stops and sinks into the water, letting those two velocipods that are chasing after him just you know crash into each other and, and explode above him, and also props to the design of the velocipods because they are they are definitely like again I feel like this design is actually pretty simple. Just like these little like telecopter, they're basically like rotors spinning around these, you know, these, these circular vehicles. But they're also like really intimidating because again, like the blades are just out in the open, and it's just it's a it's a, it's a menacing design, and I really appreciate the Velocipod look. I love the Velocipod, and it 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 just is another part of this movie that adds to like the storyline and plot, and the design of it. it like you said, is really well done. Yes, yes. And then, uh, again, Helen he- 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 and Bob, we, they are cu- they're running through the forest. Violet is dealing with her own god, and he and the god is trying to shoot at her, and he's throwing the mud on her body to try to track her down. And Dash stops him from shooting her. The god almost killed him, but Violet ends up shielding Dash. And then, again, combining the powers, we just have, like, Violet and Dash realizing, like, hey, we can do this. And Violet is just suspended in midair and this spherical force field while Dash runs, you know, runs inside and ends up turning into this, like, this little hamster ball. And it's powerful enough that it can actually send, like, two velocipods crashing, crashing away. And just, like, you know, it, it, I just love this. And then even, like, off comedic when the force field rolled over Bob and Helen. And yay, it's a family reunion. We're all back together again. But unfortunately, the reunion is cut off by the gods and the velocipods. And again, we see more combining powers here. Like even like Dash is running around to stir up a dust cloud, or just stuff like that. And, and you know, and they're all working together for a moment. But then Syndrome captures them. Yeah, a happy ending is very short lived. Oh yes, yes. And, and again, and Syndrome, he does have a nerdy, uh, again, another nerdy moment here when he's like, oh man, a whole family of supers. Looks like I've hit the jackpots. <laughs> again, realistic for him to react that, that way. So then we have Syndrome bringing the supers, so the Pa family, back to his electro torture chamber and shows them how his armor droid has crashed in Reunisburg and we have him, you know, monologuing about, you know, killing off the real supers so he could be one and, you know, obviously, you know, wanting to wipe out supers. Uh, oh, 
I can think if you had to mention also one of the best moments. I feel like, okay, there are, there are a lot of best moments in this movie, but I think one of the best definitely is when it is when Syndrome and uh, it is when Bob first meets, you know, meets Syndrome, you know, as Syndrome, not the kind of way. And, uh, and, and Syndrome is like, oh, you got me monologuing. I can't believe it. That is such an iconic line. I love it. I, I know because yeah, it's that little nod to the fact that hey, villains love to monologue. Even when you know Frozone, Lucius, he was talking about Baron von Ruthless. He's like, oh, you could kill Lucius right now, but you're just monologuing and wasting time. That's such a comic booky trope. And I love how Syndrome, like he does acknowledge he fell into it for a moment. <gasps> yeah, it. I love that they kind of call that out in the movie, and like it just adds to the comic. Um... Um, not not comic. I mean, I guess like the comic relief of this. Yeah, um, yeah, movie. it's funny. It, it, it's funny. It's clever. It's you know, it's kind of it has like this meta. Oh, I don't know. It's meta fictional. I feel like maybe you would use that word for this for this beat, but something along those lines. For sure. It, 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 it it's it's a witty moment, and it's worth quite like I feel like the incredible words this movie is is full of is full of wits, and. Uh, and then yeah, so after so after Syndrome talks about all of that, uh, he you know he just walks out, and I like how the, I like the animation of him like of sniffling and then wiping his nose with his finger and just the way he walks. And apparently he actually copied that off of a Pixar employee who actually has that kind of same uh, that same gait. And they actually do that for a lot of I think a lot of like the animators or employees of Pixar. They'll take their like real life mannerisms and ticks and infuse them into the animation into the characters that is to, super cool i had no idea about that i know it just makes it feel again all the more real all the more like oh this is something like it's a it's a real world it's not something fake you know it doesn't feel implausible yeah Which, i, I actually really like that yes and then the army droid comes to life, and now the military is trying to unleash their weaponry against it, but not really do, doing much. The army droid is just too powerful. And then Bob apologizes for his family, and then, you know, because and obviously, you know, this is a point where he's finally realizing, like, hey, his family, he needs to make it, he needs to, you know, make sure that his family is most important to him, not trying to clutch on to his glory days. And Meanwhile, Violet is using a force field to free herself and then her relatives from the, you know, the electro tentacles. Also, I'm like, why did Helen just dash? Didn't she see that Violet was trying, was, was escaping? I don't know, maybe, maybe she was trying to let Bob, you know, have his moment to apologize. Yeah, I, I did not understand that part. But like, at this point in the movie, I was kind of like, oh my gosh, we're almost to the end. And I, that's like, it just kind of was like, oh, maybe they just, it just was a little slip up, I guess. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Speaking of which, uh, I did actually check the time at this point because I was wondering, I was wondering myself, like, hey, how much time is left? And apparently, there was twenty five minutes left at this point in the movie, which is like, whoa, that's a. I feel like it's pretty short, but also like a lot does, does get covered in those twenty five minutes. Because then we've got you know the, the pods escaping, and they end up taking over, they end up hijacking the IV, and the guard. And 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 the guard he opens up he was opening up for champagne, but he and the other guy don't get to pull around for long before Bob beats him up. And 
don't have to use the rocket and the coordinates from the last launch to reach Munisburg. And this is when Mirage comes in. She has a hero moment to help them gain access to the computer because Syndrome changed the password. Yes, Mirage is like coming to save the day. Yep. And and this is the last moment we see of her, which is also kind of too bad because then it's like, oh no, we don't get to see any 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 more of her in, in the movie. And uh, and Elizabeth Pena, she actually passed away pretty recently. I don't know exactly when, but you know, so IP. Yeah, I I didn't know that. That's that's sad. Yes. Oh, oh yeah, two thousand fourteen. Wow. That's, again, again, I feel like it's pretty recent. Yeah, like eight eight years ago. Wow. And then after this is when we have also an an an, an iconic scene when Lucius. He is. Uh, I think he, he he just has like a. What's the what's he what is it he put, he's putting on his face? Like for some reason it's like the shaving. I, I, I don't know why. Is I'm it the shaving? Exactly. Is it shaving cream? No, it's like what he put on after the shaving. Oh, after shave. Yeah. After shave. Yeah, I don't know why that name slipped my mind at the moment, but yeah, he's putting on the after shave. Which is also like yeah, for some reason I feel like he is definitely the kind of person who uses the after shave. And just even even the way the bottle is designed, it it has very like a slick design about it. Yeah. And, then, and so yeah, he's using that, and then he ends up seeing like the Omnidroid outside, so he tries to get his super suit, and then his and then his he's like he's calling out to his wife, honey, and he's like, "Where is my super suit?" And he's like, "What?" And he says, "Where is my super suit?" And he's just he's searching for it everywhere, and scene ends, and, and you know, she, and she's like, no, you know, she she doesn't want him to have a suit, you know, he's caught it's 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 too much chaos. They have dinner tonight. Yeah, that's one. I that's that's such an iconic line for sure. Of course, I mean, again, Samuel L. Jackson. So I'm like, I I love how specifically he says, you know, where is my super suit? <gasps> again, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. <gasps> And, yes, for yeah, sure. So, and then, and then after that, uh, we have Syndrome apparently saving the day, and someone mistakes him for being a different superhero called Phyronic. And then this is when the Omnidroid is growing intelligent enough, like I said before, to break out of his control, and it loses an loses an appendage because he you know he he removes it with his little fancy little remote, which the Omnidroid shoots off. Also, Syndrome is. Definitely, he's not being responsible because he even, like, he picks up that chuck that the army droid is throwing, but then he just, like, tosses it behind him, and the explosion just blows up right behind him, and he is paying no attention to the chuck. And it's like, man, if you're going to be a super, at least do a good job at it. You know, try to be responsible. If you're going to be a fake super, someone who's, you know, trying to to usurp the other supers you've killed, and after that, the pod are taking the same rocket as Omnidroid to Munisburg, and they have the RVs are kind of strapped into the rocket with Helen. And also, like, wow, that is how, that is a feat. She's, like, she's stretching her arms to help to tether the RV to the to the rocket to to that ship. And I love how Bob is like, "How are you doing, honey?" And Helen is like, "Do I have to answer?" <laughs> And and then they and then they have to squabble and then they squabble over the route they should take. Again, it's like a family hijinks, arguing over directions. This is a mundane popping back to contrast against the fantastic. 
and again, it's just like it's 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 funny, and also again fits into the mundane, but it's just a fantastic team. I also like this next moment after the argument, and but Piazov wants Helen to wait for the kids, and he wants to take on Omnidroid himself, and I feel like it's, it's this whole thing where you know it's I he's worrying about like what if they die, you know, after, when it, when they're trying to get back into being superheroes. And I think she's, you know, and Helen is there to try to give him a, a, con- a confidence boost. And I like this little emotional moment here. And even like a kiss. I feel like you also don't see like many kisses. I, I feel like this is a pretty passionate kiss between Bob and Helen in this scene. And I feel like you don't often see that, again, in, in animated movies aimed towards families. Yeah, for sure. They definitely, it is not something that is very common. Yeah, definitely, and definitely. Especially, I think, like, Pixar movies. Definitely, definitely. And, and then, and, 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 okay, and then, also kind of funny, because then, uh, then Helen says, because then Helen says in the, in the scene, hey, we're superheroes, what could happen? Which is both a callback to Bob saying that at their, at their, when they're, when they're, when they're getting married, and then, just like that time, it also leads up to something that just really destroys the peace they were trying to build up. Because then the Omnidroid just comes in to crush the RB right after Violet and Dash escape it. So I just love how those two moments reflect against each other. Yeah, I love I love when we have like those parallels in movies. Always great. Yes. So now we have this whole climax with uh with the family fighting against the against Omnidroid. And I think one of my favorite moments is again, like like I mentioned before, Dash, you know, running over the water to catch the remote. I think also Helen slingshotting the manhole cover as an army droid to destroy to gun to destroy his guns. And I was wondering, do you have any like particularly favorite be- beats from this climax? Um, the climax of this movie is obviously one of my favorites. I think one of my favorite things is like when Syndrome like steals Jack Jack. I don't know why, because it's, like, if you remember, we have, like, Incredible Boy, but then, like, technically Jack-Jack is the son of, like, him, so, it's like, just, I guess it's kind of, like, the same vibe, so I just thought it's kind of, like, a little bit of a parallel. Oh, yeah, yeah, I enjoy that, too, because it's, like, yeah, you know, when, when that happens, uh, Syndrome, it's, like, he wants his own sidekick, because he was himself, he he once aspired to be a sidekick himself, and now he's gonna kidnap his own sidekick. So yeah, yeah. Again, the parallels. Like you're, like you're saying, the parallels there. I, I like that. Yes, and, love a good parallel. And then, and it's, and, and also Frozone, uh, he joins in as well to help with uh trying to defeat the army droid. And the way that they end up figuring this out is that Bob, like, oh, the only thing hard enough to penetrate the army droid is itself. Because he thinks back to when the other army droid was able to pierce itself with his claws. So now he thinks, oh, with this other claw that his current army droid has shot out, they can use this to try to shoot it back at him. Meanwhile, the other fa- the, the rest of the family are messing with their remotes, pressing all the buttons, experimenting with the army droid, which I like. I mean, yeah, it's, I, I like that. Like, yeah, if you have some remotes, you will just press a few buttons because they're not marked. So you don't know which button does which. So it's just like, yeah, just press one or two buttons. See what happens. <laughs> yeah, I think you're. That's right. Uh, it's just like having that little added aspect was always like a really well done for this movie, for sure. Yes, yes. And then they figure out, oh, like we can, we can, you know, power up the claw that's in Bob's arms, and then 
they wait, you know, they wait and they have to have uh, Lucius, you know, Photon try to throw up the ice wall, try to try to slow down the army droid for a bit, and then finally they lo- and then finally they launch the the claw and it goes and it shoots right through the army droid and kills it. Just tip it tips over and then it explodes. And that's it, the, the army droid uh, it, it says and and the syndrome has a moment where he wakes up just in time to realize incredible words have stolen his glory. And then we also and then we also have this little moment with with these two elderly men. And do you, so do you know about do you know who they are? When they're like I do oh, not. No, you know, old school, you know, no school like the old school. So they're uh so they're Frank Thomas and Audie Johnson. And apparently like they were like part of the like Pixar crew and they were they were they were actually also uh they made cameos in Iron Giants, and I think actually one of them one of them passed away I think actually right before uh right right before the commentary had been recorded. Uh, oh yeah, it was it was Frank Thomas who actually passed away the night before Bradford and John Walker recorded the commentary. And yeah, so it, I I like I like the little cameos they have in this movie, and. And then after and then after that, I like how on the ride home, back home, Dash is just so pumped about the Omni Droid fight, and he's even recapping. He's even uh, recapping a few moments, and just you know, again, like I I love the I, I love the the energy that he has. You know, it's just it's it's really charming. It's just really charming. Yes, yeah. for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. I just wanted to double check. So yeah, so Frank Thomas and Audie Johnston. Yeah, they they were chief animators who had worked at Walt Disney Animation Studios until they retired in the nineteen seventies. So yeah, again, nice to see their cameos in the movie. And then, but, but then there's kind of you know we're worrying a bit because then we uh, Helen she's checking her voice messages and Kari has been calling and leaving all these panicky messages in regard to Zack Zack, and she's like. You know things are fine, but I'm you know Jack Jack is fine, but I'm getting really weirded out. Ah, when are you coming back? And then at the end, Clary is all calm and she says Jack Jack has special needs. So then we and then she's like, oh, like thanks for sending in a replacement. And so they're like, oh, replacement. I didn't call for a replacement. And then this is when you find out about syndrome, budging in as the quote unquote replacements. And he tried to kidnap Jack Jack. A reference to the alternate opening in this movie. Well, Tintron was in the alternate opening of this movie, and originally he was actually going to try to steal the baby. I don't think it was the character of Jack-Jack, I think it was the character of Violet. When Violet was a baby, he was going to try to steal her, to ki- kidnap her, in the alternate opening of the movie. That's super interesting. I re- I like, I love hearing about that kind of stuff. I know, me too. And yeah, because even then, it's like, so Central originally was not going to be the villain of this movie. It was actually like Brad Bird was originally gonna do some do someone else called like Zarek and have him be like this evil corporate I think like evil corporate lawyer or something like, like that. And because he wanted he wanted a mundanity to be the villain, like have a lawyer, just someone mundane and corporate to be the villain. But I think like the story just ended up evolving and so it ended up becoming Syndrome, who became the the antagonist of the movie. But I, I always like hearing about that, like oh like Different, like different phases of the movie, different, you know, different story elements that could have come to be but didn't. Always interesting to hear about that. And and then Zack Jack revealing, and then Zack Jack he ends up revealing his powers. The family doesn't know about 
the pawns don't know about his powers, but he just unleashes someone syndrome. And I'm actually wondering, like, do you have any favorite superpowers of Jack Jack? Um, I actually love most of them, but I would definitely have to say that I love the teleportation one just because I think it's funny because he's a child. Oh, yeah, teleportation. That's good. That's good. Uh, yeah, teleportation. I would say, mm, I think when he, I think when he turns into a, transforms into, into a gremlin, and I don't know, just something like just when he turns into this little creature, and he's just like, ah, I, I don't know, something about that just speaks to me for some reason. Yeah, that that's I a just, good one as well. Yeah, it, like I really, I really love that, and I, and then he also does have other powers like turning, turning to steel. Uh, setting himself on fire. He, I don't think he even has the. Oh yeah, yeah, laser eyes. He does. He has the laser eyes. Uh, also, apparently, turning gooey, that was a, an alternative transformation for him. So it did not make the final cut, but it was considered turning gooey. And and then while all this is happening, Helen and Bob are like so panicking. Like, what can we do? And then finally, Helen has Bob hold her up. And catch, you know, Jack Jack as he fall as he falls out of Syndrome's grip. She catches him. She transforms into a parachute. Bob throws his throws his car, his new car that he had bought, up to Syndrome's mantle jet. And that sets off Syndrome. Like he tries to escape, but he snags his cape on turbine, gets sucked into it. Again, as a callback to the cape appearance, harbored by Edna. And Oh, also the manta jet. I love the design of the manta jet. How it just like it looks like this manta ray. Yes, love. Yes, and and then and then all all the debris is falling. It's plummeting onto the power house, but the family is safe thanks to Violet being able to create a force field. Yay! She has reached the end of her arc in this movie, and you know she's grown since the plane. And then we have the kid from earlier on his little chase call. He pops up again, and he's like, "That was totally wicked." Yes, and... the kids are. I think the kids are definitely in on the superhero stuff now, for sure. Oh yes, yes, and also this kid on the tricycle. He was actually played by uh, the the producer John Walker. He was played by John Walker's son, who also played Squirt and Finding Nemo. I I I I like that. I like the, I, I like the little trivia facts. And For sure. Then, and then three months later, we've got we we've got basically kind of like, kind of like an epilogue. We've got Dash at the track meet, and we've got a uh, Violet, and we've got Violet finally. You know, she has the courage to be able to talk to Tony, and uh, she has her hair, all the hair, you know, pulled back, and you know, just tucked back. And also, it was actually Brad, Brad Bird's son, Michael, who plays Tony Reidinger. And That's so cool. Yes, I know. Yeah, again, little cameos. And and the, and out of the pause, I was just cheering on Dash. But then it's like, just cheering him on. But, but, but hey, like, but they're also like, hey, don't run too fast. Not, not first place. Make it close, like second. You know, because they don't want him to abuse his powers. And... Because that was actually, I, I forgot to mention, but that was a whole conflict earlier where Bob was like, hey, we should let Dash run, you know, let, let him compete in sports. But Helen was like, no, we can't let him do that because he'll, he, 
you know, I think I think it's a combination of like, him, like of him cheating by using his powers, but then also exposing. He could expose his powers accidentally and then, you know, ruin the cover. But now it's compromising and allowing Gash to be able to compete. But again, just as long as he doesn't abuse his powers. And yeah, just just again, when the family is sharing, it's just really love that. Make it so it's, you know, second place. <gasps> and then after this, you know, Gash has his trophy. They're all walking out of the stadium. And then the Underminer makes his debut with his massive drill. And he's being voiced, of course, by John Rassenberger, who always has the, the Pixar cameos. Originally, Brad Bird actually didn't want to observe this tradition. He just felt like, well, why do we have to do this? It's not, like, it's not necessary. But then he was end up, he did end up feeling like, wait, it's like every Pixar movie has been great up to this point. Why should I break this tradition? So he ended up letting John Rassenberger do the voice for, for the Underminer. And I like that. I'm glad for that. Because, like, you know, it's John Rassenberger. It doesn't have the Pixar cameos. Yeah, it's a nice, it's a nice touch for sure. Yeah, and and then also again, so going back to Fantastic Four, the Underminer is very similar to a villain called uh, called Mole Man, who is basically like he, he's basically the same thing. Like he lives underground. I think the Mole Man has this whole thing with moles going on, like you know the animal kind of moles. And he was actually the first bad guy that the Fantastic Four fought. So again, another Fantastic Four connection to the Incredibles. <gasps> I love it, though. I love the Fantastic Four as well, so I feel like it's a great Oh, me line. too. Me too. I, I'm, I'm, exci- I, I'm excited for the upcoming Fantastic Four movie for the MCU. I, I hope they do good by it. Just because, like, the, the last, you know, the Fantastic Four reboot a few years ago, that, uh, I've seen that, and it was uh, just very bland, just dull. Not a, not, not a good Fantastic Four movie overall. Definitely agree on that one. Yeah, and then the, the movie ends with, you know, the, the supplies are putting on the masks and Bob is pulling open his shirt to reveal the incredible, the incredible outfits. And it's, uh, and the movie's over now, the credits start rolling. More of that wonderful Chikino score. And the credits, also kudos to the credits, because I, I love the visuals of these credits. It's like just watching it all play. But yes, that's the, that's, that's the movie. And I... I had a really fun time with this, just like, you know, watching the movie. I actually hadn't, like, when I, I rewatched this a few weeks ago, but I hadn't sat down to watch it in a while. So it was nice to be able to do this and for the podcast. And again, you know, my favorite Pixar movie. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think that this is probably one of my favorites yeah, of, like, Pixar in general. So it's it was great to revisit with you. So thank you so much. You're welcome. And yeah, again, so uh, do, you have any extra, do you have any additional thoughts you want to express on the movie before we move on to Good Words? Not really. I think we covered it um, pretty well in depth, so that was really it was really great. Alright, well, well then. Let's move on to Good Words. And now this is the segment where we each get to recommend something. Now it can be a, a book, movie, a TV show, a podcast, music, anything we want. So, Matthew, what is your good word? Um, I would say that my good word is Diana, the musical on Netflix. Uh, I am a huge musical theater person. And so when it first came out, I was not a huge fan of Diana. I watched it with my parents and I was like, oh, whatever. 
And one day, about like a month ago, I decided to revisit it. And I have watched it like three times since then. I've been listening to the cast recording on repeat. It's not very historically accurate of the story of Diana, but I think the music is super fun and the music, uh, the musical overall is super camp. So that's definitely my good word. It's available on Netflix and you can stream like the cast recording on like Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you listen to your music for sure. Already. Yeah, I actually haven't heard of this, but yeah, can, you know, can, camp can always be fun. Yeah, camp does. And definitely, I'll, I'll have to add it to the watch list. I'll, I'll have to check it out. Yeah, for my good word, I will uh, I will be doing the Anti series by Jesse Q. Sutanto. Now, this is, this is a, it's made up of two books so far. There's a third book coming out in the future. The first book is called Dialed A for Anties, and the second book is called Four Anties and a Wedding. And basically, the way this, this series starts out is it focuses on this uh, Chinese Indonesian family, and it focuses on the daughter, uh, Medi, and her ma, and her three aunties. And, the, and, and this is a very, uh, and this is, a, it's like, in the first book, it starts out with uh, this whole chaos happening because there is, like, some, basically, someone gets killed, and uh, met and Betty, his daughter, she's like, oh crap, like, because she was kind of involved in it, but you can, like, I won't spoil it, I won't spoil it, but the way the circumstances happen, you can understand, like, why this, why this, uh, why this does happen. So now she's like, oh crap, what, what, what should I do with the body? So she ends up calling her ma and her aunties for help, and they end up assisting her and trying to cover up the event, of co- covering up, like, you know, trying to hide the body. And it ends up turning into this whole, like this whole farcical story. And I would say, like, de- definitely, if I know there are some people out there who aren't into the farce, who aren't into like the absurdist humor. And if you're not into that, then you probably wouldn't be up for the series because the second book also definitely is for the farce. And but I feel like if you are into the farce, if you are into stuff like, especially the kind of farce you, you see in Australia, then this book series is definitely appropriate for you. And, uh, and, I'm, and I'm really excited for the Netflix adaptation it's getting because, because Nanashka Khan, who created Fresh Off the Boat, is actually adapting Donald A for Anties, the first book, into a Netflix movie. And I'm quite pumped up for that. And again, this is the Anties series by Jesse Q. Sutanto. Again, if you love Frost, then this is for you. And, awesome. Can't, right. I'll definitely have to check it out. Yes, definitely, definitely. And all right, so those are, those are our good words. And now, Matthew, I want to thank you once again for being able to come on here and you know break down the incredible with me. I, this has been on, on my on my list for a while of like of movies to break down as podcasts. So I'm glad that you're able to join me for this. And now I want now I want you to uh, you can you can plug your socials, your podcast, you know, whatever you, whatever you want on on the on the show. Totally. Uh, you can check out That's Matthew wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, like all the places at That's Matthew. And you can check out my website, That's Matthew.com, for all the fun stuff on there. I put out episodes every single Friday. I'm on a little bit of a break right now, gearing up for the summer season. So, um, but new episodes will be coming back starting June 24th. And like I said, new episodes every single Friday. So check them out. I cover a wide variety of nostalgic movies, and I can't wait for you to check it out. Thank you so much. Yes, and you know, yeah, t- taking a break, that's good, that's good, because I feel like, even right now, for some reason, I feel like with a podcast scheduling for Two Cents Critic, I'm kind of like, 
eh, there's a lot coming up on my on my plate, and I feel like I need to take a break maybe sometime, you know. So I, I can sympathize with that, definitely. Yeah, um, I just, I really just needed a break because I wanted to make sure that I'm still putting out great content. So I just took a little bit oh, yeah. of a break, and I'm, but I'm excited to come back in just a couple weeks. Yeah, certainly, certainly. And as for my socials, you can find this podcast on Twitter and Instagram at two underscore sense critic. You can follow my personal Twitter account at Arthur underscore and 18. If you want to email me, you can do that at email two sense critic at yahoo.com. You can also check out my blog at two sensecritic.com. And you can find me on Goodreads, Arthur Howell. You can find me on Good Pod, Storygraph, and Letterboxd, all at Arthur underscore and 18. Make sure you rate and uh, review and subscribe to this podcast uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it's on Spotify, Stitcher, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, any other streaming services. And, you know, if you, if you can give the reviews, like on Spotify, the star rating, or on Apple Podcasts, you can give star ratings too. Make sure you do that because it really helps to bump up the numbers, you know, get the podcast out there to more people, more ears, more listeners. And once again, I want to thank you very much for, you know, for coming on here, Matthew. Again, really appreciate it. Yes, of course. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. And until next time, stay healthy and stay strong.